This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. We've got Terry South here as well as Cole Wissinger. And we are back from Thanksgiving break. It's always tough to come back. But if we can get through today, then we're over that little hump. Hopefully it was a great Thanksgiving for you. Uh, It was for me. I know that uh, Cole went to the movies a few times. And uh, Terry, how was your Thanksgiving? He wasn't quite ready. As I'm getting ready here. It was good. It's like going to the dentist and they ask you all these questions that are not yes or no questions while they're operating on you. Right. Ridiculous. No, um, it's fine. Having all these days off, now here I'm going to complain about days off. You wouldn't do that. After a while, it's like, I need to go back to work. What? All these days off make me tired. No. Because, I mean, you, you don't you don't have your same schedule, you're not doing as much, and it just kind of feels like, okay, I need to go do something productive now. Wait a minute. So you're not, you're not in the mindset of, I need a vacation from my vacation. No. I need work a vacation. Is, for, yeah, well, I work need, is your vacation from your vacation. I need to come vacation. back here and do something because at home, I'm you, you're just kind of hanging around. We, we did a lot of stuff. I. I did some yard work, uh, you know, you have Thanksgiving, all that. But it comes to a point where it's like I need to get back to my normal routine. Yeah. And most people aren't that way, but after a while I'm like, <laughs> ah, I need to get back to work. Yeah, I, I can see wanting to do something productive, but uh, yeah, it's never enough. It's never enough. Wanting to get up and be at work at 7 o'clock in the morning is not something that I've ever really it's not normal. had inside of me. Not normal. Hey, I'm curious hey, to I know. I like my job. What are you going to do? What do you guys think a successful Thanksgiving looks like? Is it getting really good deals on sales? Is it getting a lot of sleep, eating way too much food? What does a successful Thanksgiving look like? No family fights. Hey, that's a good one. Everyone's happy when you walk away. Yeah. Okay. Cole, what do you think? Successful Thanksgiving? Um, a lot of sleep, a lot of recovery, a lot of football, a lot of food. Did you get any of those things? Oh, yeah. Oh, great. All of the above. Well, I got some pretty good deals. Did you get any uh, DVDs, Blu-rays, Terry? Wow. Didn't do any of that. Okay. I mean, there's plans, but why rush out now when everyone else is out there? Well, you do it all online. Well, you can do that, but eh. The thing is now, (laughs) it, it goes throughout the entire month. It's not one day. Okay. Like in two weeks, they're going to have second Black Friday. That's true. Because they're, they're, they're trying to keep the spending up for the entire month as they're trying to make their yearly budget right here at the end of December. Well, there's always this one-upmanship that we see every year to the point where Black Friday is pretty much going to start on Halloween from now on. Yeah. In some places, it did. Some places, <laughs> they go, oh, early Black Friday. You're like, wait, it's October. Come on. Well, we'll be talking more about Thanksgiving throughout the show, as well as uh, a a win, a big W from BYU. I had totally forgotten that that they even played, and uh, they won. They won! It's amazing. We'll talk about that, especially with uh, our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, as well as uh, Joe Cannon. He'll be on the show here in just a few minutes. But first, let's talk to Terry South, see what's going on around the rest of the country. 
Starting with uh, Black Friday numbers, Thanksgiving yes. online retail sales hit n- nearly three billion dollars. Wow, two point nine billion on Thanksgiving, eighteen percent increase over last year. As more retailers push Black Friday deals out early, and consumers continue getting more comfortable making purchases on their phones, mobile phone accounted purchases counted for forty six percent of visits to e commerce websites on uh, what Thanksgiving and twenty nine percent of total sales overall. So. They're saying people are on their phones ordering things. You know, the crazy thing is we were out on the road on Black Friday, and it was the best. I mean, we were in L.A., so it could have been really traffic-y. Right. There was nobody on the road. traffic is that the technical term for yes. that? Okay. Yeah. The crazy thing was I think all of the Black Friday shopping was already done by Thanksgiving. Probably. Everybody was done. No, Wrap it up no shopping home. on Black Friday. In other news, uh, Representative John Conyers of... Uh, Michigan, I believe, announced on Sunday he was vacating his perch at the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee as the embattled congressman faces multiple allegations of sexual misconduct, harassment, and verbal abuse. He says, after careful consideration and in light of the attention drawn by recent allegations made against me, I have notified the Democratic leader of my request to step aside as a ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. No mention. And then it says longtime uh, congressman has denied the allegations against him. Earlier Sunday, House Minority Leader uh, Nancy Pelosi called Conyers an icon who has done great deal to protect women and urged due process. She later came out later saying that uh, he needs to step down. Um, yeah, she said that. And everyone's like, hold on. He's you, you spent like weeks going after Roy Moore in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Similar accusations against a sitting member of your caucus, your group, right. your Democrat, and you come out and defend him. It didn't look well, well so she, she had to said, kind of recap. And she said he's done good things and that there should be due process. She also said, have you met any of the victims? I haven't heard a thing from them. I'm like, Wow, that really sounds like something a Roy Moore supporter yeah. would say. So yeah. she uh, had to backtrack some hmm. of that. Uh, President Donald Trump Sunday doubled down on his support, uh, his support for embattled Alabama Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore, taking to Twitter to disparage Moore's opponent, Democrat Doug Jones. Against the wishes of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and other top Republicans, the president decided last week to take Moore's side at, uh, again uh, amid amounting allegations of sexual misconduct. He goes on and says that uh, Trump has defended Moore by saying that the allegations against him or four decades old. So because they're old, sure. apparently they're, they're not as valid as if they were new. Do you find tweets harder to get through now that they're twice as long? I skip some of them. Yeah. Because as you're scrolling through Twitter, you can see that it's a huge block of text. You're like, ah, moving on. Yeah, we need the like short what, was it, 140 characters. Is that what it was before? Right. Yeah. So the Republican National Committee and the National Republican Senatorial Committee have cut their financial ties with more. They're also trying to figure out legal avenues to be able to hmm. block him from taking the seat if he wins or removing him from the seat if he shows up to the Senate. Because that, I mean, that's still a very real possibility, then right? The, then the problem is the people of Alabama voted him in. Now you're voting to take him out, hmm. and Republicans tend to be on the side of states' rights. Sure. This goes against states' rights. The hmm. state has put him, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah. this whole conflict that you don't want this guy in there, but you don't want a Democrat to get the seat. Hmm. So what do you do? Is it worse to have a Democrat in there or Roy Moore? <laughs> What's worse? 
Oh, I think we need a different question, a different solution, maybe. I don't know. This morning, there are two people starting the same job as acting director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. One of them chosen by the agency's outgoing head, per the guidelines of the law that created the CFPB, and one picked by President Trump, per a more general law on executive appointments. The Justice Department issued a memo justifying the administration's position Saturday evening, the president's attempt to install a White House official at the head of an independent agency while allowing that officer to simultaneously serve in the White House is unprecedented, a lawyer representing representing Leandra English said in a statement Sunday. English, the agency's deputy director, was named acting director by the agency's former director. So the idea is you have this Consumer Protection Bureau. Mm-hmm. The director... Under the rules set up, the director names his successor. Right. That's because it's supposed to be independent from Congress. Mm-hmm. Trump appointed his own guy. Okay. Which, <laughs> under rules of, exe- of the executive uh, branch of government, he can do. Yeah. If you read the law that way. So there's this conflict between the rules set up for the agency and then what the White House is saying. So this is probably going to court. Awkward. To figure out who's in charge. I've been in a position where I where there were two people doing the same job, and it's super awkward. Right. Well, the guy that the Trump appointed uh, is a guy named uh, Nick Mulvaney, who kind of mm-hmm. overseeing the, the 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 push for the the budget, yeah, and the taxes and all that kind of stuff. They're yeah. trying to put him in charge of that. While well, he still he still is in the White House dealing with all that other stuff, right? So he's going to be in the White House and serving in a quote independent bureau of government. Okay. So there's some there's some conflict there. It's an interesting case. It may turn into something of a fight, as you know everything is nowadays. Wow. So something to watch. And finally, uh, NASA created a record that was launched into space aboard the Voyager probe in 1977. It's a gold record. Really? Yeah. It's got was it uh, a Michael Jackson gold record. Well, no. What they're saying is this will finally be released to the public. So they've never released what's on this record, right? Oh, so it's the last uh, Elvis Presley album. No. The Washington Post reports the Voyager Golden Record contains music by everyone from Chuck Berry and Blind Willie Johnson to Beethoven and Bach. The sounds of uh, humpback whales, the greetings in fifty-five languages, was put together by a team of astronomers, are led by astronomer Carl Sagan. According to NASA's website, it was intended to communicate a story of our world to extraterrestrials. The album was given to donors of a Kickstarter campaign, uh, and that campaign was so successful that the companies decided to release it to the general public. Mm. So if you want to, this is what we sent out to say hello to our alien overlords, who I believe if they go through the effort to come here, they're not coming here in peace. It's just my (laughs) thought. Just my thought. Chuck Berry, that's a good choice. Right. He just passed away kind of recently. I believe there was a Star Wars or no Star Trek movie where they were what they they Viger was some alien they they encountered in one of the Star Trek movies Viger and it's Voyager oh okay and they actually found like the probe was used by this other race to come find us interesting and the words on the side of the probe were kind of messed up decayed somehow. away a little bit that was uh star trek the motion picture the very first one i you can almost hear dr matt's voice mm-hmm. chiming into this conversation saying, basically I, saying uh nerd alert yeah. yeah he's not here that's fine but <laughs> i think it'd be kind of cool listen to the record yeah. So I'll wait, and someone will just put it on YouTube. Also, we'll Star Trek there. related, in Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, they go to save the humpback whales. They save there the was whales. also humpback whale noise. Didn't that happen in Free Willy, too? 
Also a great but picture with, with some Michael Jackson music at the end of that. I just, so it all I comes just learned there circle. were four Free Willy films, by the way. Yeah, they kept making them. So if you could send something into space that would be a good representation of who we are as a species, yeah. what would you send? I don't know. I don't know. Terrified screams from Black Friday? Could be. Oh, yeah. There was a few fights. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I was, I was, was waiting for the damage report in was, your there, news segment. There wasn't really, like, widespread chaos. There were some videos. As long as nobody was pushing trampled and shoving. to death. There were some weapons discharged oh, in boy. certain malls around the country. They might have been just, like, you know, misfires. Because, you know, everyone's concealed carrying now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, people ran. and I think it was in New Jersey, I think. Hmm. I just, you know, people fighting over TVs. It's the same thing that happens. So you said three billion. That's just three billion in stores and online. This is online total. only. Oh, online only. Two point nine billion on Thanksgiving. Oh my goodness! Eighteen yeah. percent increase over last year, as it says. Uh, most of that. It says forty. It says mobile phone users accounted for forty-six percent of visits to e-commerce websites and apps on Thanksgiving. I told you it was it was over by Thanksgiving. Last Thanksgiving, twenty nine percent of online retail revenue was attributed to transactions made on phones. I wonder how well their plan to get more people in the store worked out because I don't know. all it did to me, it, it just annoyed me when I went and I, I saw that Spider Man Homecoming was on sale at such and such a store, and uh, the better deal was in the store versus online. So it's like, all right, I just won't buy it. So it didn't work for me. Do you buy things on your phone? That's all I did. And it was over by Thanksgiving, like I said. I know people you look up on your phone, Mm -hmm. and then they go to a computer. They won't buy it on their phone. No, I'll buy it on my phone. Hmm. Oh, I'm I'm that kind of superstitious. I've (sighs) never entered my banking information on my phone. Really? Yeah. Well, now you kind of have me worried. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the, the, hmm. the man has your stuff. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. But this says only 1.8% of smartphone visitors to shopping sites actually made a purchase. Oh, that was hmm. me. So also on Thanksgiving, I'm checking to see what the dealers are going to be to see if it's worth me getting off my butt and going to the store on Friday or if I can just wait until today, right. Cyber Monday, and make the purchases then. And that's what I decided to do. I was, I was all hyped up that I was going to make my first Black Friday run. Uh, but then Thursday night came, and I was still just doing things with friends. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I didn't go. Doing things with friends? Hmm. It wasn't worth it. I see where your priorities are. Hmm. So wait a minute. Cyber Monday and all these other cyber deals, that they're, they're not as good as the ones that showed up on Thursday. Sometimes they are. I haven't found them. It depends. What are you looking for? Movies. See? Well, they know that, so they're they're holding out. Later in the month, you, you have to watch because the, the, they'll play with prices as the month goes on, depending on how successful they were at the beginning of the month. They want to keep, you know, the the traffic going through the middle of the month, and so they come up with all these new sales and new offers, and they just you, know, you have to watch. I was uh, horrified by a purchase I had made when I found out that it was on sale two weeks later, mm-hmm. but then I was delighted when this the company. When I reached out to them and told them the situation, they refunded me the difference. Hmm. Can you believe it? I had that with some Squeaky furniture. wheels. I did it about <laughs> three months later on some furniture I purchased. Really? I walked into the store and I saw my exact set. I'm like, hey, I bought that. Yeah. And, and they, 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 the they looked up on my account and they went, oh, yeah, you did. 
Here's a hundred bucks. See, that's just good business right there. Right. Cole, you mentioned the man, and I don't know why I had this thought, but what if we were to find out that the man is actually a woman and not a man? Mm. She might be. Might be. Wouldn't rock my world. I mean, we're all about equality. So who, should we refer to it as the person? Probably. Okay. Just to be safe. Doesn't have the gravitas. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. There's not that chill that goes down your spine when you go, the person. You're like, ooh. The yeah. person. Watch out. The person is going to get your information on your phone. Yeah. Doesn't do it for you. Okay. So yeah, in the past, my wife and I would take the weekend after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. We'd sit down at the computer and just start buying all the stuff for my kid. Yeah. Stay out of the toy stores and all the stuff just shows up and you're great. This year, my wife's, I don't know, she just seems to be kind of a day, day or two behind. Like last last really? year, it's like the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, Friday, tree goes up. Maybe, maybe now you guys had too much turkey. She's going to put the tree up today. Wow. Now, granted, she has today off. You guys are slackers. Yeah, she's a little little, little behind. We've been I think done it has for do, weeks. It has to do with the extra kid. Who really? has Monday after Thanksgiving off? Who people would take who, that day off pe- of work? People who have extra vacation time and their boss keeps bugging them about it. Mm. So you just start taking days <laughs> off just to keep everyone happy. Yeah, I want to talk to you guys later about that in the show, Christmas decorating. And I, you guys have teased me a lot on the show about I have a setting psycho- up too early. I have a psychological study. <gasps> About what decorating early does to your standing in the neighborhood. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Do you think it's? Do you think it is? Uh, uh, your neighbors are supportive of you decorating early, or do you think they're against you decorating early? I have to believe that they're more okay with me decorating early than they are with people leaving up their decorations through July. Right. But do you think there's like people look across the street and they look at you with just disgust that it's up so early? Or it's do all you think about they, the timing. Do you think they approve and they're, they're supportive of your, you know, early bird Christmas decorations? Those are the people that have... The dirty windows, yeah. and they look through it, and they say, "Man, our neighbor's our neighbor's yard is so dirty." But then, when they look a little closer, they discover it was their window that was dirty all along. Wow, meh, that doesn't do it for you either. No. Well, that message came from the person. So, anyway, when we return, we're going to be speaking with Joe Cannon about uh, something slightly different. Some of the happenings and goings on in politics. As we like to do from time to time each week here on the Matt Townsend Show with our good friend Joe Cannon, our Joe in the know. When we return, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. And it's my pleasure to speak with our good friend Joe Cannon. He's our Joe in the know. He's the chairman, or he was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party from 2002 to 2006. And he's currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can look up what they do on fuelfreedom.org. Joe, how was your Thanksgiving? It was a great Thanksgiving. It was very pleasant, very happy, and just like all Thanksgivings, it's good to see some of our family here. Yeah, so um, you you just had it here locally then? Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. We stay here in our our daughter and son-in-law from Fort Riley, Kansas. So my son-in-law is uh, 
an officer in the U.S. Army stationed at uh, Fort Riley. All right. For some of your listeners might know, that's that's the home of the Big Red One. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it was wonderful visiting with them. So, Joe, I ran into a an Angels pitcher, a former Angels pitcher that we're good family friends with. His name's oh, really? Clyde Wright. And uh, he uh, was giving me a hard time. He's like, I thought your dad would have taken down all of his Dodgers uh, posters and baseballs and all that once the Dodgers lost. And he, he had good fun bringing up the fact that the Dodgers did not win the World Series. Uh, it was so sad, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was so sad. It's all right. <clears throat> There's always next year. I love the shirts that the Chicago Cubs fans were wearing when the Dodgers beat them that said, well, there's always last year. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. So, Joe, there's there's lots going on, and you know, especially when you come back from the holidays, it seems like there's whoa, there's just so much going on, and I'm I'm curious to know more about this potential government shutdown that could be that's kind of looming. What can you tell us about that? Well, no one wants to shut down. Uh, I think the I just don't see it happening. I mean, I think the, the the most likely thing to happen this week or early, early next week, but I think it pretty much has to happen this week is a uh, just an extension till the end of December so they can put it off while they debate the uh, or try to get the tax bill done. That's kind of what I think is going to happen, but I, you know, I don't know. Um, it turns out if you just go into the tax bill for a second, what, what, um, you know, you've got six senators there, six Republican senators that are sort of uh, iffy. And but most of those six or seven of them, most of those are also in the camp of people who don't want a shutdown. Sure. So I, so I think there's in there's a deal in there at least to postpone the shutdown until till the end of the of the year. But then they'll figure something out. They're not going to shut the government down. However, so, I've been wrong before. <laughs> I mean, has this happened before? And what are some of what are the ramifications of a government shutdown? Well, there have been, there have been some periodic government shutdowns. They usually don't last for longer than a, a day or two because sometimes a little bit longer. But they everyone starts feeling the pinch. What it means is, in order for the federal government to spend money, they need authorization from Congress, and that authorization periodically ends. Uh, we're not even talking about the whole budget cycle. Let's lay that aside. But there's a uh, – the, uh, so you need, you need authorization from Congress for the federal government to spend money. That's what's running out, and I think it's December 5th that that authorization runs out. Uh, generally, Congress gets together and they, they do a continuing resolution that allows – uh, the government to keep an operation, um, but when it when it does shut down, I, I when I worked at EPA in the 1980s, there was a shutdown for a couple of days. And what happens is uh, uh, all non-indispensable people don't show up. You can't show up to work. Um, just for the record, I was one of the indispensable people at EPA, so I did show up to work on on that day because one of my jobs was actually to be responsible for the budget of the agency. 
But uh, so, yeah, so the government literally shuts down. Federal employees don't go to work. There are certain emergency things that, that go into place that allow emergency essential um, uh, operations to continue, sort of health and safety kind of things. But, yeah, basically the vast majority, not majority, like 90 plus percent of employees just don't show up. That's got to be a good feeling done. when you're when you're labeled indispensable. Well, I guess it's better than being not indispensable, but yeah, yeah. So that's what happens, and, and it's only happened a few, a handful of times. And and right now, there's nobody has anything to gain out of it. I guess maybe the Democrats might feel like they have something to gain in the lead up to the. Uh, congressional the, the the 2018 elections but i even there i i think uh, i just don't see i just don't see it happening especially with the tax bill people that on the republican side anyway really really wanted to get to the tax bill so hmm yeah i don't see it shut down so joe let, let's talk about all of these allegations that are coming out of the woodwork for various people in various positions and it, you know not just in politics but in, in the entertainment business it just seems like okay you you turn on your your laptop and it's like okay who's it going to be today or how many more how many more people are going to come out against this person and i know that uh, obviously roy moore is in some hot water right now and yet donald trump continues his support of Roy Moore. Well, boy, there's such a huge spectrum of issues there. I think uh, um, it's, just a, it's a new day. I mean, I think what's happened is, is someone's, we, the, the rock has been lifted up on a lot of uh, just hugely deplorable, evil behavior. Yeah. And for, for a long time, uh, many women, most women, were afraid because all of the people we're talking about now are people at positions of power and uh, and authority, and in some cases, huge power and authority over the over the potential careers of of these women. So you have uh, vulnerable women, powerful men, whose whose uh, ego blinds them. To uh, you know, to their corrupt actions, and they feel a sense of entitlement. Uh, and I guess you know, I don't really have. I'm not sure I have a different feeling than most people who are just horrified. It's, it's partly just the exercise of power that uh, you know to control to to uh, satisfy your their sexual appetite. But it's also some of the really bizarre behavior. It's kind of sort of embarrassing. We're so, it's such a, a, a hog wallow low of public discourse. I mean, we're describing, you know, actions that people have been, been embarrassed to talk about, you know, I mean, several, you know, a few years ago. But you see the, some of the bizarre behavior of some of these people. It's really sickening, and it's just like you know, animalistic and. You know, I, I don't even know how how to describe it. It's certainly uh, unbelievably narcissistic. Sure, uh, yeah. A, a lot of these people are actually ugly people thrusting themselves on 
on on these uh, you know poor women. I don't know. It's just really distressing, and it does seem to be across the board with people in positions of power to to help or hurt uh, women's careers. Both you know, they, they seem to be concentrated around Hollywood, around the news media, and around um, politics. Sure, it's been fairly long known in politics that uh, that congressmen have done lots of things, both consensually and non-consensually, uh, acts of immorality. And I think there's a lot more going to come out. And so, just the question is, what what do people do about it? Obviously, Al Franken is completely unashamed, no matter what his words are. He's just going to go back to work. Well, I'm just doing what I'm doing, and. Sorry, these people were offended, and hmm. Conyers is in a little. There, there seems to be a range of behaviors. I mean, honestly, even in my own mind, however heinous Al Franken's, you know, uh, act, acts appear to be, uh, you know, someone like Harvey Weinstein is even, you know, that's even worse. So I, maybe there's a range. I, I, I don't know, but. It yeah, seems like the least bad thing is still really, really, really bad. So, and, speaking of Al Franken, I don't know if you saw the uh, the letter that came out from several. I, I think it was dozens of women that worked with him on Saturday Night Live over decades in support of Al Franken. Do you think something like that carries any clout? Well, it might. It's clearly carrying clout in his mind. Um, you know, uh, it's up to. I, I think the interesting thing that's going to happen here that c- could be news is that usually when a when an act or when a, when a Congress person is submit, you know, uh, it gets sent to the Ethics Committee for review, it, it almost always either goes there to die or results in a slap on the hand. Slap on the wrist. Sorry. Really? And I, wow. and I think I, but no, but I think what you might see be saying here is, okay, no, this is a new day. We're not going to turn a blind eye to these kind of uh, actions. So one route possibility is the ethics committee will stiffen up their spines and actually do something tough. Or it may be that there are so many congresspersons involved in this that people just throw up their hands and, and leave it up to the electorate. I don't know where that's going to go, but I do think you're going to see a change in the attitude uh, uh, toward sexual harassment. Yeah, and it's so strange, I mean, especially when you think about Roy Moore, because there's the argument of, well, yeah, maybe what he did was horrible, but we really need a Republican to win this election. Or there are people that maybe are are a little more religious, and they say, "Oh, that what he's doing isn't so bad," or, or "What he did isn't so bad." Um, what I'm curious well, the to know: more situation is interesting, and I think you're going to see it on both both sides of the aisle. Just say you're in Minnesota, and Al Franken is up for election. You might say, well, gosh, I I really think what he did was reprehensible. On the other hand, do I want to punish the Democrat Party for his sins? I think one of the things yeah. going on in Alabama is just that. Yeah, I doubt that many people are thinking, gee, that's great. Well, there's a, apparently a core of people who simply don't believe the allegations right. because they came from the Washington Post. And I guess if you're in Alabama, 
you're going to say, well, that simply can't be true. If it's the Washington Post, they're just trying to take down a uh, Republican senator. Mm. There's that. There's that. There's a set of people who believe that. But I think most people are just saying, you know, he, that's reprehensible. And then they're then they go to the next step. But is he repre- reprehensible enough to elect a Democrat who's for sure going to undermine what they perceive as their own their own they, the Alabama voters' interests? So in the olden days, there used to be a, a term called yellow dog Democrats. And I, I might even think that was a Harry Truman uh, term. But anyway, it was, uh, you know, people in I think that was in Missouri will vote for a yellow dog as long as he's a Democrat. Maybe we've got yellow dog Republicans in, <laughs> in, uh, in Alabama. We're just saying, you know, it's, yeah, it's a yellow dog, but it's a Republican, not a Democrat. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. I, I did see over the weekend a couple of polls showing more bouncing back to even and even ahead in a, in a couple of polls. So wow, it'd be, it'd be pretty interesting. So, do you think it's less likely that he will win, or less likely that if he did win, he would be voted out of that office shortly thereafter? Because there have been some talks of that. Yeah. So when I talk when I talk about the ethics committee stiffening up a little bit here, could well be that he's elected, but there's a possibility he might not be seated because there'd be an investigation about what happened, and then it's up to the Senate. So that's one thing. Two, he could be impeached. That's a complicated uh, process. Uh, Or he could be recalled. I don't know the laws in Alabama, but but many states have recall election possibilities. So one of those three things could happen to Moore. Certainly there's no welcoming, sense of welcoming on the part of the Senate, Republican or not. I, I, I can't think of one Republican who's come out in favor of him in the U.S. Senate. I it could be wrong, but I don't think so. But, I, of course, numerous Republican senators have come out against him. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, it seems like he's still got a a good backing of support from Republicans. You know, who doesn't seem like he has great Republican support is Mitch McConnell in these 2018 primaries that are coming up. No question. The, uh, yeah, people, you know, the Politico had a, had a story on people fleeing McConnell. I think what that mostly is, is a reflection of the fact that nearly three-quarters of the population of the United States disapprove of Congress, and only 13% approve of wow. what Congress is doing. So, I mean, that, that is massive. And, you know, in the same way that the Republicans ran against uh, Pelosi when she was Speaker of the House, maybe McConnell is the new Pelosi. He's, hmm. he's uh, no, Who knows who Mitch McConnell is? I mean, really. Uh, probably there, there are people in Kentucky who don't know who Mitch McConnell is, but there are definitely people all around the country who don't know who he is, but they do know that he's the majority leader, yeah. whatever that means, of the majority party <laughs> in the Senate who people don't like right now. That's what people know. And so, you know, it's, uh, I, I, it's, I think it's as much who he is and what his position is than what he uh than you know, than himself. I mean, who 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 could? He's a pretty benign guy. I mean, but he is the majority leader, and 
uh, a, a lot of people are holding that against him. He's the majority like, leader because the majority of the people that know who he is don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> He's the leader of that majority too, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, Joe. Anything else that that we ought to uh, be talking about today on this Monday? Well, we didn't we didn't talk much about the tax bill, and I think that's that's pretty critical because that's got to get passed, you know, in the next few days. Basically. Yeah, and uh, and you've got seven senators or seven Republicans who are kind of on the fence, uh, but we probably don't have time to go through all of that. Other than to say, at the end of the day, although McCain is such a if I could say loose cannon on this thing, uh, <laughs> I think they're going to end up getting uh, enough votes to get that that passed. The other thing to note is it looks like uh, Bernie Sanders is making a play uh, to run for president again in 2020. He's, wow. he's spending a lot more time uh, shoring up his weaknesses, according to some insiders. So he's, he's looking to be now a foreign policy guru, as well as... Um, you know, domestic policy. Joe, I, are, do you think people are going to take him a little more seriously now that we've seen who can actually go on to win the presidency of the United States? Because I think, you know, they saw Bernie Sanders before and thought, this guy is really extreme. And yet President Donald Trump, who had no political experience, really, and who people never thought in a million years would be elected, he ultimately did get the get the presidency do you think uh, his chances will be better and that people will take him more seriously this time around well uh, i don't know about the population as a whole but on the on the democrat party side of things he's clearly consolidating power the the center of gravity on the democrat side has clearly moved in his direction moved left the leadership of the Democrat National Committee, Democrat National Committee, is very supportive of him and his ideas. He's the most popular politician in America today. Now, that might be like the tallest building in Tooele. I don't know. <laughs> he, he, he is the most popular politician in terms of approval-disapproval rating. And, you know, so he's, he's got a lot of clout on in the part of the party that is the most active in primaries. So all these primaries that are going on, and and this is all up and down the the chain of state and local, as well as federal positions, a lot of that part of the Democrat Party is moving in Sanders' direction. So yeah, he has has plenty of cloud. He's going to, he will be a factor whether he runs or not. He will be a very big factor in 2020. Oh, that's so interesting. So, Joe, uh, in just the little time that we have left here, tell us what you foresee over the next week with all these deadlines approaching. What should we expect to see? Well, I think you'll see an extension on the on the government spending. I think that will happen. And I think you'll see a tax bill. I don't know if you'll see it in the next seven days, but uh, I think you'll see it before – December 12th. I don't think they want to take any day. The Republicans want to take any chances on that Alabama um, election. Uh, if it turns in a Democrat, that's just one less vote, and that that re- reduces his uh, his Mitch McConnell's chances of down to to two. 
assuming a tie and assuming no Democrats cross over. So I, I think they have to get a tax bill out. I think they believe that. I think even the ones that are even the, the six or seven holdouts right now are all many of them are saying, well, you know, if this little change happened, I could work with it. I could live with it. So that's that's what I think will happen on those two bills. Well, Joe, we we really appreciate your time here on the Matt Townsend Show, as we always do, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next Monday. His name, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No thanks. Oh yeah. <laughs> His name is Joe Cannon, and he is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can look it up at fuelfreedom.org, and he is our Joe in the know, our Washington insider. We're going to take a break. When we return, we will continue the discussion here on the Matt Townsend Show. back to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we just finished speaking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, and uh, we briefly talked about the the tax bill that there are six or seven holdouts that we didn't really have time to get into, but Terry wanted to give us some more information on those six or seven holdouts. It's just, I mean, it's just drama, okay. right? My, yeah. wife, my, my, my wife gets frustrated by a lot of the political stuff. She gets anxious. <laughs> like, Maybe that's why she's a day behind in the decorations. Could be. Could be. She's just <laughs> taking a break. Me, I look at it kind of as a, a like a soap opera almost. It's like yeah. you're watching this thing and people say things, they go back at each other and the next day they're friends and then it's just this back and forth. And I, I think I do that to cope because if okay. not, then you can like really get frustrated <laughs> with some things. But it looks like uh, John McCain, of course, he has the... Uh, the the tumor right yeah. in, in his head so he's there there's some thought that this is his last term right so he's saying whatever he saying wants saying what he needs to say yeah bob corker from tennessee again he said he's not running again so he's just saying what he wants doing mm-hmm. what, you know jeff flake from arizona again not going to run for yeah. office again he seems to but at the same time bob corker and jeff flake and john mccain are conservatives Yes. Right? So they're not going to do anything crazy. It's not like they've joined the Democratic resistance and they're <laughs> out there marching in the streets or something. Almost sounds like Star Wars. But at the same time, they're not going to do anything that they don't I, – I, I believe uh, Bob Corker said he's not going to vote for any bill that adds anything to the deficit. Mm. Right? So if you mm-hmm. have a tax plan that they're saying is going to add money to the deficit, they put out a new uh, Congressional Budget Office report over the weekend, they say it will. Yeah. Republic, the, the people that are for it so, you know, are uh, – fighting against that report. Uh, so you got Corker saying that Jeff Flake won't necessarily support Trump's agenda, but at the same time, he's a conservative, so he's going to still vote that way. So uh, hmm. Susan Collins of Maine, Ron Johnson of uh, Wisconsin. Ron Johnson won- runs the uh, the uh, House Freedom Caucus. It's also great on Miami Vice. Right. So that's Don Johnson. Hmm. Uh, and so he he's fighting because he wants more items in the tax bill so they even these it's not that they're against the tax bill but maybe it doesn't go far enough yeah maybe we need to open this up more for small business somehow and do, wow you know. um and then the final one being uh, steve danes of montana he he's looking at it like he doesn't feel like the t- he feels 
the, uh, Ron, uh, Steve Daines from Montana feels that this is a tax bill for the rich, that it's not a tax bill helping the middle class at all, even though the Republican leadership says it does. And so they're trying to talk with him to try to figure out what he needs to make get this to a yes. But right? this is so, likely to pass even without their support. And it, they said at the same time, I read, none of these people want to shut the government down. Right. Right. Yeah. So how far are they going to fight this? I'm not sure. But uh, you need – the Senate only has – the Republicans can lose, what, two or three senators? Yeah. You have six Republicans here that are on the fence. Mm-hmm. So there's some drama as to who they can woo to their side, if, if wooing is the correct <laughs> term for that. So that, I found that interesting to read over the weekend. Also, the, the ongoing sexual harassment oh, yeah. situation. You have, yep. you have uh, Conyers from Michigan. He's, I, I don't know, I've read a thing in the New York Times saying that he's showing up to meetings in his pajamas. We all wish so we could do that, by there, the way. There is a, a growing question of mental capacity when it comes to dealing with this gentleman. He's been in there for a long, long time, much respected in all the work he's done. Judicial committee he stepped down from over the weekend. Nancy Pelosi's trying to figure out a way to just kind of graciously get him out of the, the, <laughs> the story, just move him along. And then you have Al Franken, who said over the weekend that, I love to hug people. Maybe I've done some things. I didn't see him as being mm-hmm. harassment. They took it differently. And I'm sorry if they did, but I'm going back to work. Yeah. And he's going to work to convince the voters of Minnesota that he should stay in office. That's an interesting approach. And, you know, before it was an incident that had occurred before he was a senator. Right. So you thought, oh, he's a comedian. We That's in the past. And he's apologized for that. He said that obviously I was wrong in everything I did there. Yeah. But wow. I don't know. Well, the Senate this week passed a resolution, or last week passed a resolution mandating annual sexual harassment training for senators and staff. The House will vote this week on mandatory sexual harassment training for members and staff with an administrative committee hearing on the 7th. Uh, but the problem is when you have the people making the rules to govern themselves and they've had this process, which was basically kind of secretive and, um, did everything it could to protect the harasser. That's how mm. the program, that's how the whole system is set up to report all this. Yeah, that's not right. People don't want to change that. They kind of like that safety of I'm not going to be outed. <laughs> right. So, um, the, the main thing is the tax dollars that go to the payoffs yeah. to keep people quiet. That's what citizens aren't happy with. Oh, yeah. Obviously. So um, it's just uh, – I don't know how far they're going to go with this because, as it says here, some lawmakers resist changes to their secretive processes. They like what they have. They don't want to change – they're the people that give themselves the raise. Yeah. Right? They they get to a, a certain point of a session, like, I deserve a raise, and they get a raise. No one ever votes against the raise. Well, it's so like, why are they going to vote for or against this training if they don't feel it's an issue? It's And I can't really relate to this because I'm the youngest in my family, but it's like if you have an older sibling who's part of this secret club, mm-hmm. and your mom tells your older sibling, now, you can go, but you have to let your younger brother tag along. Yeah. They don't want to give up that freedom. They want to change the rules. Yeah. So that's the question. Will they change the rules? <laughs> they might have enough pressure from their constituents to do so, but maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. We'll have to see. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to, when we return, I want to continue this conversation that we've got about some of these allegations that are coming out. And I want to talk a little bit about the head of Pixar, something that came out uh, during the Thanksgiving break. When we return, this is the Matt Townsend Show.
We're talking about all of these allegations that are coming out against people in politics, people in the entertainment industry. And over Thanksgiving break, uh, John Lasseter has been the latest, uh, it seems, in in these allegations. Um, Nothing really specific uh, mentioned about what he's done. We just know that he's taking a six-month leave of absence for giving unwanted hugs. Correct. So what does that mean? Who knows? I mean, there's still so much that we don't know. But this is big news because this could be devastating for Pixar. And it could mean a huge, huge shakeup. And it's 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 kind of interesting because Pixar is a company that kind of prides themselves on having this very family uh, environment where people know each other, they love each other. So it seems like that would be the type of environment where hugs would would go around very freely. And yet, yeah, John Lasseter is uh, being accused of of giving out unwanted hugs. I think a lot of for a lot of people in the workplace, any hug from your coworker is going to be considered unwanted. I have a personal bubble. I'm one of those guys. Really? That it once you enter into this bubble, it becomes unwanted. Like pats on the head <laughs> or hugs or any any kind of touching, really? Do in you, the workplace especially? Is there anybody mm-hmm. that you work with that you feel like, "Okay, I could take a hug from that person?" Jeff, are you <laughs> are you thinking that I'm wanting to know if it's okay for me to start? Are, are you trying you? to subtly <laughs> imply? No, really. I just want to know work, if we're at that part of our relationship. In yet. a workplace setting, I cannot imagine a time where I'm in my building of employment, yeah, and think that a hug would be okay. It's funny. I was at a church meeting yesterday, and somebody had on the edge of their mouth what looked like could be the remnants of. A, you know, brushing their teeth, you know, mm-hmm. some toothpaste there. Either toothpaste or the morning cupcake frosting. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, how do you know when you're at that point in a relationship when you can just, in a in a room full of people, say, hey, uh, John, you've got something on your mouth. Because you don't want to embarrass the person. But I, I, I like to – I would like to be at a point in a relationship with people – that I work with or that I go to church with, where they would feel comfortable telling with me. With you seductively you know, coming up and wiping it off with your thumb. Not, and... not going that far, but I would I would like them to feel comfortable to say, uh, you know, Jeff, you've got a little booger hanging out. Even if there's a whole room full of people. See, if I saw you around, I would probably tell your wife to say, hey, yeah. Jeff's got something goofy going on. You want to tell him? I don't want to keep walking around like that. I want somebody to tell me to fix that. Stat! This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. We've got here, as always, Terry South, our wonderful, wonderful producer. And we've got Cole Wissinger. And uh, we're celebrating, I don't know if we're celebrating it, but it's Cyber Monday today. Just another just another Cyber Monday. Nope. No? That's not going to work for me. You know, there's a lot less the singing. singing. The singing, the, basically. Um, I'm sorry. Hosting. Cyber Monday doesn't really work either, but. <laughs> oh, it's not, goodness. I, I read all these um, 
articles about you know Cyber Monday. Here's the deals. And, yeah. I mean, what stores you can get what at, and then all the other people are like, it's not a thing anymore. It isn't. No, because the idea, the whole point of it was Black Friday shopping, and then everyone goes back to work, and then the first day they're sitting at a computer. They just sit there and buy stuff because they're sitting at a computer all day. Yeah. So maybe we should just get the day off is what you're saying. Well, I mean, people have their phones. <laughs> maybe people shouldn't yeah. look at computers over the weekend until they get back to work. It's, yeah. The, it's not like the shopping doesn't start until Monday. It happens like the entire weekend. Yep. It started, as we've talked about, a week ago, two mm-hmm. weeks ago, when the pre-Thanksgiving deals. And it's like, so the whole Cyber Monday thing, I think, is just... Uh, it's a thing to say, but it's not like real anymore. I think the whole, the whole like, our whole experience now with shopping has turned into this sort of online experience. Is it too much to ask that all of these things just be on sale every day? No. There has to be a reason to get you in the store. I'm not going to the store. Yeah, neither am I. I'm I, trying to avoid the store. I, I mentioned that last hour. There were certain deals that were exclusive to the store that mm. you couldn't get online, which yeah. is different from what we've seen in years past uh, because they're trying to get more traffic in the stores. Yeah, it's not going to work for me. And then there's the fight between trying to get people to purchase online but still come to the store. You don't want to You don't want to eat yeah. sales on either side of either the in the store versus online. And so they're trying this balance some – some uh, retailers are kind of, uh, what, they raise the price a little bit higher online. Yeah. And then if you want to purchase in the store, you can make that choice at checkout and then pay a lower price, but you have to drive to the store to get it. <sighs> because see, then you'll pick up your shampoo and stuff too while you're there. Yeah, you know what I mean? I see they're trying they to get that it. extra sales. Yeah, they want people to wander the store and to look at other items that are on sale. <clears throat> the problem is. I'm not going to want to do that right. on a Black Friday, or it wouldn't be a Cyber Monday. I, I wouldn't want to do that on a Black Friday. I don't want to do it I, on random Wednesday. Yeah, so. I will. I will surf the internet <laughs> for all of Black Friday. I'm I'm much more likely to buy more items that way hmm. than to want to spend extra time in a store where people are stepping over each other trying to get the last of a certain item. That doesn't sound like fun. No, fun to watch, <laughs> not fun to be in. Yeah, fun to talk about, but not be a part of. All right. right. Uh, so I don't. I, I'm. I'm going out on a limb. And I'm okay. saying Cyber Monday is not a thing. Really? Yeah. It is a media creation. That makes me feel better because it makes like it's makes su- it sound like you were more opposed to the idea of Cyber Monday yeah. and less opposed to me singing. I'm opposed to your singing too. Oh, I see. Yeah. Just singing in general. I kind of like. Ah, come on. What are we doing? <sighs> I'm just trying to open up my windpipes and, you know, do my vocal exercises on air. Doesn't everybody want to be a part of that? Right, yeah. <laughs> I woke up this morning. Oh, I wish I could hear someone practice singing. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Well, just a taste of things to come here on the Matt Townsend Show as we continue to talk about Cyber Monday and, and some of the fun that we had over Thanksgiving break. But uh, before we do that, let's head over to Terry South, who's going to give us a taste of what's going on around the rest of the country. Representative John Conyers of Michigan Sunday announced he's stepping down from his position as the ranking Democrat on the House Judiciary Committee amid sexual harassment accusations. I deny these allegations, many of which were raised by documents reportedly paid for by a partisan alt-right blogger. Hmm. Conyers said in a statement, I love it when the Democrats are accused it's an alt-right blogger. 
when it's the Republican, <laughs> it's the, the Democrat media, Jeff Bezos, Amazon, sure. Washington Post machine that's trying to take them out. They just kind of toss every name in the world out there. It's really interesting. Uh, Conyers said in a statement, I very much look forward to vindicating myself and my family before the House Committee on Ethics. The committee opened the investigation after BuzzFeed News reported uh, Conyers paid thousands to settle with a former employee who accused Conyers of unwanted sexual advances. I'm sorry. Even if you were convinced that you're innocent, I don't think you could say that you're looking forward to it. I'm yeah. looking forward to being scrutinized heavily and being put under <laughs> right. this magnifying glass. Sure. But it's the right thing to say. Sure. And this is all about uh, public relations and how not to mess up the response. And a lot of people do. <laughs> Senator Lindsey Graham uh, avoided taking a firm position on whether Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore should win his race during an interview on CNN's uh, State of the Union on Sunday. From a Republican point of view, Graham said, I don't know what winning looks like with Roy Moore. If he wins, we get the baggage of him winning. And it becomes a story every day about whether or not you believe the women or Roy Moore or should he stay in the Senate? Should he be expelled? If you lose, you give the Senate seat to a Democrat at a time we need all the votes we can get. The moral of the story is don't nominate someone like Roy Moore who could actually lose the seat that any other Republican could win, Graham concluded, hmm. and effectively dodged the story on whether he's going to support him or not and moved on. <laughs> uh, it was an interesting way to put it, though. Don't nominate that guy. Yeah. Um, the FBI received a record number of background check requests for gun buyers on Black Friday this year. Right. It received 2,000 or 203,086 requests for instant checks and nearly a 10% increase from last year. The two previous background check records were also set on Black Friday. The FBI also had some other news over the weekend. They, uh, the FBI failed to notify scores of U.S. officials that Russian hackers were trying to break into their personal Gmail accounts. Despite having evidence for at least a year that the targets were in the Kremlin's crosshairs, this according to a report from the Associated Press, even senior policymakers discovered they were targets only when the AP told them. A situation some described as bizarre and dispiriting. The FBI did not comment on the story. So maybe the the person that we talked about now changed from the man. man, It could be a person because it could be a woman. Maybe the person is also Russian. Could be. (laughs) They're trying to break into your Just Gmail. Just throwing that out there. Could be. Finally, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos saw his net worth top $100 billion after Amazon's stock, of which Bezos is the single largest owner, climbed 2.5% on Black Friday. The bump earned Bezos $2.4 billion on Friday alone. Microsoft Bill Gates was the first person to reach the $100 billion mark in 1999. By a Bloomberg's count, Bezos is the richest person in the world and the only individual to currently boast a 12-figure fortune. As Gates, in second place, now has a mere $89 billion to his name. <laughs> Bezos' gain is part of a larger story of how online shopping continues to eat up market share. Shoppers dropped $640 million online Friday by 10 a.m. Eastern, an 18% increase over Black Friday 2016. So $640 million by 10 a.m. Wow. Eastern on Friday. See, I mentioned earlier in the show how great it must feel to be labeled indispensable at work. Oh yeah, I think I'd rather uh, I think I'd rather be known for crossing the one hundred billion dollar threshold. Really, think about the taxes. No, nah, just think, hire somebody to take care of that for me. My wife's still, an accountant. You'd still have headaches. You just wouldn't be able to just to farm well, that out and never worry about it. Buy some Tylenol. I guess with my hundreds of billions of dollars. I guess. <laughs> Money, m- money brings all happiness. Is that what you're trying to say? No, no, you're right. Like it. it feels like it. Yeah. No? No, mm, it doesn't. And finally, apparently we're killing ourselves with Pokemon Go. 
I thought we. I thought that was killed. I thought Me it's too. Dead. But this is traffic ac- accidents, including fatalities, surged after release oh, of Pokemon no. Go, according to a new study. The research suggests that people driving while also trying to catch them all. It gave rise to disproportionate increase in vehicular crashes, injuries, and fatalities in the vicinity of Pokestops, oh. which are places where you can stop and, you know, collect more stuff to throw at imaginary beasts, basically. Uh, why it matters, the number of total auto accidents and numbers of fatality accidents are both already increasing as the number of accidents attributed to distracted driving according to federal data, and the market for augmented reality apps is only expected to keep growing as they keep adding that feature to phones, which means we'll have more games just like a Pokemon Go type thing to distract you as you're driving. Goody! So researchers at Purdue combed through nearly 12,000 police reports for traffic accidents in uh, a county in Indiana where Purdue is located, and the and controlling for traffic Purdue's schedule of academic breaks and other variables they found, in the first few months after Pokemon Go was released, there were more auto accidents in locations that became home to Pokestops, which ended up being like landmarks and parks and things of that nature. The, co- the county experienced an overall increase in car crashes in the first few months after the release of the game. The authors attributed 47% of that jump to the app. This is so sad. I, I think we need a reality check. I think we need to come to the, to the point where we remember, wait a minute, there was a day when we didn't have no. our phones in our car. No, you just sound like an old curmudgeon now. No, and I, you know, I don't want to say everybody's horrible for having their phone in their car because I'll admit mm. I have picked it up to look at a text message occasionally. Hypocrite. I know, right? But what I'm <laughs> sa- I, I realized this the other day, like, wait a minute. You know, 15 years ago, I wouldn't even be doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, 15 right. years ago? Well, yeah. Yeah, 15 yeah. years ago, I wouldn't be doing this. Right. I would just get where I needed to go, and I would call that person back. Mm-hmm. Although I wouldn't know if they called me because I wouldn't have my phone. Right. Phones can be useful because I went to some little town half an hour south of Provo for my Thanksgiving mm-hmm. um, out in the middle of nowhere. And driving back, I was I had my phone on speakerphone mm-hmm. talking to my family that was all gathered together for their Thanksgiving. Um, and so I didn't have my maps also open in front of me, which meant I got to try to drive home from a place that I'd never been before in the middle of rural Utah to get back to Provo. And it took slightly longer hmm. uh, than yeah. when I was staring at a map the whole way down. So phones have their advantages. Cole, did you ever log on to the internet, print out directions on From MapQuest? MapQuest? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was very much a thing. Getting onto Maps, MapQuest and without fail, uh, well, I don't want to single out MapQuest. Any of those services that you had to look up the directions of print them out. Oh, that was the best one. Always getting lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always. Right. And it's the same thing as like what's worse, having your phone tell you where you need to go and looking at your phone while you're doing that in your car or trying to read a paper while you're in your car driving. The cool thing about a phone is that it it talks to you. That's Papers true. At least it'll never talk to talked you. to me, at least. And so, because I, the reason I couldn't <laughs> use my it. maps while I was talking to my family is because normally my phone would be saying, turn left here, or hey, yeah. you missed that left turn, things like that. Whereas instead, I was hearing my little cousins talk about how great their Thanksgiving was, which mm, my was better. F- my phone does it both. I'm on speakerphone and the maps go off at the same time. 
So I can't. Oh, so the, it, the phone really, fades out while the. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And it, it kind of messes up the conversation, which yeah. is kind of the whole point of on the speakerphone, but it's just <laughs> kind of weird as I was getting map directions and talking to somebody at the same time. I'm, I'm going to say that overall, though, I think we're safer in the car than we were decades ago. Why? Here's why. Okay. Um, first of all, we've always been unsafe in the car, whether we're looking at our phone for directions or whether we're reading a paper that has mm-hmm. printed out directions or we're looking at a map, you know, or which is probably the, the worst thing of all. The use of seatbelts. Yeah. yeah. We were – my wife and I just last night were talking about how uh, in our – on our uh, drive to, to California for Thanksgiving – my daughter would ask for permission, like, I can't quite reach my water. I can't mm-hmm. quite reach the goldfish. Can I get out of my seatbelt really quickly, and my, then I'll get right back in my it? My kid drops his Lego. Dad, I'm right. going to get my Lego. No, stay in your seat. Yeah. yeah. There's this the, – the initial thought is, ah, no, you can't get out of your seatbelt. You can't do that. And then I wait a minute. We would take trips from California to Utah. My dad would load up the back seat with luggage and then cushion it with pillows and blankets. We would be out of our seatbelts for the entirety of the trip. Right. And nobody batted an eye. It was the thing to do. So I think, if anything, we're either uh, we're either safer than we used to be in the car or um, we're just too anal today. Oh, wow. Interesting. I, I'm definitely safer because I remember my long car trips back home. I would twist around in my seatbelt so much to get into a comfortable sleeping position <laughs> that if my father had actually wrecked the car, I would have been strangled to death by the the different contortions I was doing just to get comfortable enough to sleep That's in the back point. seat. Yeah. Not only we were we not in a seatbelt, but we would climb from the back of the car all the way to the front of the car to, you know, gain access to the ice chest to get a soda. So I think we're safer. Okay. But yeah, you still got to pull over if you want to read your text message. That's really what I was trying to say. Right. And it took only about 10 minutes. To That's do great. That. Yeah. No, it's just a matter of, of – we've had people on the show talking about this. We don't have self-control as a people. Yeah. Right? You get that, that text, that notification. You're like, oh, I got to look at that. I got to know what that sure. was. And I – like I listen to my phone all the time and I just set it in the, the cup holder and just – don't even touch it till I get out of the car. You just need to get one I, of those cars that has the Bluetooth uh, capability yeah. that will read the text message to you. And mine does that. Oh, okay. It's just very disorienting to listen to some machine try to read a text. It's just they don't <laughs> – like Matt. Matt's talked about how he lets his phone like read articles to him as he yeah. wanders around after the show when he goes on his walks. But – even that, the, the, there's like context, there's tone, and they just there's nothing there. And like it, it tries to describe the emoji. Oh yeah, you know, and that's always kind of an adventure as you're trying to figure out what this text was. And so I turn that whole functionality off because it's just it's broken. It's got to be weird too if you're getting some lovey-dovey text message from your wife. And this you get, monotone, yeah. no emotion. You're like, huh? That was. Thanks for being such a sweet husband. I appreciate all that you do. Was that a threat? I can't. <laughs> what was she trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a matter of just you got to just leave the phone alone. But people can't. I, you see them all the time. People driving down the freeway. And whenever you see someone slow down or they start you know, weaving or something, you drive by them and they're in there looking at their phone. Like, ah. You can always tell when somebody's looking at their phone. The weirdest thing is when or the weirdest thing I've seen is sitting in semi trafficy traffic. Uh, that's another technical Traffic-y term. Trafficy traffic. Yeah. Um, and somebody's got a book open on oh, yeah. the steering wheel of the car. That 
has to be ten times worse. Have we asked you about the kind of traffic you hit going down to L.A. for Thanksgiving? I mean, I imagine when you're stopped for so, 30 minutes, you can get some the, light reading in. There was this video. There's pictures they put out. They've had them out the last five or six years, but they put it out again. And you see this just solid cars on its Wednesday night before yeah. Thanksgiving oh, yeah. as people mm-hmm. are trying to get out of Los Angeles to go to Thanksgiving. And you see brake lights one way, headlights the other way, and no one's going anywhere. Yeah. Is that what it was? Was it really just... Bumper to bumper? Or so from here to Mesquite, it was smooth sailing. From Vegas to L.A., it was thick. Wow. But this was on a Monday. Right. So when we pulled in around 2.45, 3 on o'clock. On Tuesday. <laughs> no, no. I'm just glad we left when we did and got there at the time we did because it would have been so much worse had we just been an hour behind that. Mm. But on the way back, woke up at... Four, let's see, left at 4.15 in the morning. My girl slept for almost the first three hours of the trip, which was fantastic. We didn't have any traffic the whole way home. Oh, wow. It was great. It's great. Mm. You got to pick the right timing. That's it. Got to know the tricks. Man. The secrets. You know know what my secret is? What's that? Don't drive. (gasps) It's a secret, I know, but. You monster. I know. It also (laughs) limits the amount of trips you take, just, you know, expense, but. When Coming you, from you, the guy you, that said he was a, excited to come back to work the Monday after you Thanksgiving. Took a, was it a three and a five year old? Yep. In a car mm-hmm. by yourself mm-hmm. and drove to California. Yep. Wow. I'm super dad. That's what I am. Maybe I'll get one of those lovey dovey text messages from my wife. And Maybe. That my Granted, she had the infant in an airplane. Oh, she was in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. It was cake. It was easy for her. Oh, good. Glad that worked out. Yeah. Although we're paying the price now for taking a five-month-old on a week-long vacation out of town and completely interrupting his routine. Yeah. Now he's all messed up. Yeah. Well, you know, you'll have time to reset him. Yeah. Maybe when Dr. Matt gets back, we can start some sessions with him. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to – when we return, uh, we are going to be revisiting an interview that Dr. Matt – speaking of Dr. Matt – did with Dr. Harold Herzog – about pets. Are they really good for you? This is a really interesting conversation that he had. I'm curious to know what he has to say because my daughters are starting to get the itch. They want that dog. When we return, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Did you have a pet growing up, Cole? Nope. You didn't? Wow. I had a bunny, Carmel. I was 10 years old. And uh, when my brothers would throw her across the yard, I would scoop her up lovingly and then have her run in a different direction. And I'd say, run free, Carmel, run free. Anyway, I don't know. Lucky, lucky bunny. (laughs) Uh, I don't have one now, but I know that my daughters would enjoy having a pet. Calvin and Hobbes, one o or Calvin and Hobbes, one hundred one Dalmatians. Even the fox and the hound are evidence of humans' fascination with animals and our pets. Some would say that we've only uh, anthropomor- anthropomorph anthropomorphized. Thank you, Cole. Uh, our pets. Others would say that these animals have real bonds with their owners and even souls. 
few months back, uh, Matt Townsend spoke with Dr. Harold Herzog, professor of psychology from Western Carolina University and author of the book Some We Love, Some We Hate, and Some We Eat, Why It's So Hard to Think Straight About Animals. And uh, Matt began the interview by asking Dr. Herzog why he wrote a book about pet ownership. Well, I started out as an animal behaviorist. My Ph.D. is in animal behavior, but at some point I got interested in the sort of moral complexities of our relationships with animals. And at some point that sort of took over my research interest, so I closed up my animal lab and I started studying uh, human-animal interactions full-time, hmm. including our uh, relationships with pets. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Uh, do we Do we take it out of perspective? I mean, now there's... There's there's entire television channels just for animals. There's uh, people watching hours and hours of pet videos or cat videos online. Are are pets good for us? Are they healthy for us? Or are we just now gone extreme? Um, well, I think both. <laughs> I think both of those are true. Um, the question is how we gone extreme. Let's deal with that first. I would say uh, yes to some extent that we have. Um, so, for example, uh, the idea of taking your pet pig on an airplane ride right. free because it's an emotional support animal <laughs> um, strikes me as being a bit of a bit of an extreme. Um, as is as is to uh, walking into a Walmart with a boa constrictor around your neck because you it, because it, it's a uh, service animal which is going to warn you of an onset of an epileptic seizure. Oh wow! Uh, I I am. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned uh, uh, pet videos. My, it turns out that my cat and I have something in common and that we both like uh, YouTube videos. And it turns out that there are not just YouTube videos of cute cats. There's also YouTube videos for cats. Are you serious? My cat loves those videos. My cat is absolutely addicted. People sit there for long periods of time. Unbelievable. YouTube videos of mice running across the, across the screen. Does it's she hilarious. react to it, or does she just sit oh, there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're, uh, if you're listening to this show... Uh, go to YouTube and uh, type in uh, videos for cats, and your life will change. You and your cat will have something that you can, that you can Unbelievable. enjoy together. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's Dude. really fun. Well, it's funny because parents do that with their kids. Hey, go watch YouTube, and um, now pet owners can do it with their cats. Is it just cats, or Absolutely. are there – Absolutely. It, my, my cat my, – my, uh, my little grandson was addicted to uh, truck videos, truck mm. YouTube videos when he was about three. And yeah. my cat responds the same way to these cat videos. It's really fun. Well, that's funny because you're a behavior. You can see. You can – you know. You know what's going on in their head. Do dogs respond? No, they don't. That's a great question. It turns out that it's, it's a, a – cats, cats respond and so do some lizards. Wow. Uh, but dogs, it's an it's, it's a, it's a interesting – brain function called the critical flicker fusion and it's it's the way uh, animals brains are wired and cats have incredibly good my, my, my cat will not only just watch a, a youtube video on an ipad she'll watch it on my on my iphone she'll, <laughs> she'll, will she dial it up herself <laughs> yeah critical flicker function that's pretty amazing fusion critical fish uh, critical flicker fusion fusion yeah. Okay, I gotta get. I gotta go look into that. That's crazy. now. You ask, also ask if if, if, uh, if pets are good for us, didn't you ask? That? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, for the most part the answer is yes, but I also think that it's sort of a mixed bag, and um, the pet industry definitely pushes the idea that pets have a lot of health benefits and uh, make us happier, healthier people. I think the evidence for that is much more mixed than mm. uh, what you hear in the media. So, so we might just be being sold. 
Because it seems like they, are, they also add in. Go ahead. No, go ahead. We are definitely. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. No, you just go right ahead. Okay. We're definitely being sold to some degree. And, uh, you know, as a researcher, what I do, my job is to do is to sort of make sense of, you know, all the research papers and mm-hmm. there's hundreds and hundreds of research papers that have been published on this. And uh, what I found is that there's a mismatch between what the media tells us about the health and psychological benefits of pet ownership and the actual evidence. And the evidence is not as good as the media would have us believe. Hmm. Hmm. So um, some of it, I guess, is just it's almost like it feels more like a parenting instinct, like people end up treating their animals like their children. So it's just almost fulfilling a need to parent. I think that's absolutely true. It, it, you know, you can ask the question, you know, why do we, why do we spend so much time and money and energy on, uh, on taking care of animals that are, you know, are not going to pay us back in the, in the future? You know, they're not going to return the favor, mm-hmm. and we're not genetically related to them. You know, there's no sort of evolutionary basis for that. Um, and I think, I think you're quite right. I think what, uh, you know, especially dogs and cats, animals like that, that they definitely... Uh, activate our parental instincts. However, the interesting thing for me is that this is also very influenced by culture. So that puppy, which is absolutely adorable and seen as we, and we treat like a little child in the United States, if we were to go to Saudi Arabia, where uh, pets are considered, uh, or dogs are considered unclean uh, in, hmm. in the Quran, we would find that, they, that they're reviled. They, uh, a, a, a puppy would be like a rat. And on the other hand, if we were to go to Korea, um, where they do have pet puppies, they also that puppy would also be something as uh, seen as lunch, mm. um, something that would be on the dinner table. So, so our culture plays a big uh, effect in terms of how we think about it. Oh, that's true, huh? And so culturally, yeah, we our our love, our American love of animals, I guess by many could be seen as you know just food storage. Or it could be seen as um, more of a just the uh, kind of an unclean, even immoral act. Um, that's exactly correct. That is interesting. Right. Talk to us then, I guess, overall, if a parent is out there thinking, okay, maybe we ought, it's time to get our kids a pet this spring. Overall, um, would you would you say that's a there's the, the that's a good thing, a bad thing? Are there pros and cons to getting a pet? What should we be having going through our mind as we're thinking about this? Well, the one thing is we should be use a certain amount of common sense. For example, I had uh, one of my students came up to me uh, a year or so ago, and she said that she was pregnant. She was getting ready to have a new infant, and she said that she and her uh, husband were getting ready to, uh, you know, have this kid. And at the same time, they wanted to get a new dog, and so they were thinking about adopting a dog, and they were deciding what type of dog to adopt. You know, and they were thinking about you know the difference between a German Shepherd, a Pit Bull, and a Doberman, and a, and a Poodle. And um, my feeling about that is you don't want to be adopting any dogs right now yeah, in your life. Right. That, that's, not, that's really not the right thing to do in terms of where your attention is going to be. And it's also potentially dangerous no matter what kind of breed of dog it is for, for, the, for the kid. Similarly, it's Easter right now. Uh. When I was a kid, it was very common for parents to go out and for Easter buy their kid a little, you know, a, a, a bunny, a uh-huh. little bunny, or right. maybe a baby duck or a baby yeah. No, I got a baby duck for Easter. <laughs> I bet it died. No, it actually lived. It just it just was taken away in about a month because my oh, parents okay. were divorced yeah, and my okay. dad bought it for me. So when I brought a duck home, my mom couldn't 
roll her eyes further back in her head. <laughs> and that duck was gone. Gone to a pond. Well, that's not a, that, it, <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, the baby, the baby chicks and the baby ducks would also be dyed some sort of color, like oh, blue or pink or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they were horrible well, that's back not then. A good, that's not a good idea. But on the other hand, under the right circumstances, I think, I think pets can be great companions for kids. It depends on the kid. They're not going to be a great, they're great for every kid. And uh, there's some evidence, interestingly enough, there's uh, a woman that studied this most, Gail Melson, has found out that in terms of kids' interactions with pets, at least in the United States, there, there's not really many sex differences. You know, boys and girls get attached similarly hmm. to, uh, to puppies and kittens and things like that. However, uh, she argues that pets may actually have a specially beneficial impact on boys because it sort of teaches them nurturance. It, it, it's a good oh. model for learning how to care for things. So I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Interesting. You know, just historically... The relationship between human and uh, animal, I'm not assuming, was always a kind of a friendship. It seems like, it seems to me, many, many, many years ago, it would have just been a food source. Do you think? I think that's, I, yeah, I think that's right. And, um, you know, what we see is that different cultures has been very different. So, for example, if you go back to the ancient Greeks, Greeks they had they had some pretty close relationships with pets. In fact, they had... They had uh, funeral, you know, funeral and burial rites and cemeteries for pets in ancient Rome and ancient Greek, wow. and Greece. And then at other times, there's cultures which there's, there are cultures which don't even have a word for pet, and so their relationships with animals are almost all all negative. Huh. There's that, something to eat. That's that is that's um. So so what's happening to us? Uh, and is it? I guess is it getting more and more friendly? And is that meaning we're we're going to see them less as an as a as a food source? That, that's a very interesting question. So it's a really, it's a really deep question, and um, I, guess, I guess here's how I would answer that. I would, I would say that yes, if we look at in our culture, what we've seen is I think in the last 30, 20 to thirty years, as we've seen a change in how we think about pets. Now we certainly have had pets, you know, for for hundreds of years, but in the last twenty or thirty years, we, there's been a phenomenon that the uh, pet products industry calls the humanization of pets. And we've more and more come to see pets as uh, as people, mm-hmm. and and as real members of the family. Ninety five percent of people, when answered in national polls, say that they consider their pets to be family members. And increasingly, we're treating them like them. So people were more willing to pay, for example, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in veterinary expenses, let's say, for cancer treatments for their pet or for. Uh, you know, a hip, a hip replacement. And they didn't used to do that. Hmm. Uh, and you mentioned before the, you know, this idea of, you know, television channels for, for dogs, pet day spas. <laughs> um, Amtrak, Amtrak, just I think yesterday I read, is now allowing people to take, take their dogs and cats on Amtrak trains because they think it's going to increase ridership. Because wow. people don't want to leave home. They don't want to leave their pets home anymore. Yeah, well, you can't. So, we have seen this change, and I think that I think the interesting thing is the other part of that that you asked was very perceptive. Is is this going to change the way that we look at animals in terms of, for example, eating them? And and I think that uh, to some degree, yes, because if you start thinking of your dog as a person, well, what's the difference between your dog and a pig? You know, you start thinking that your dog is a creature that has feelings and and thoughts and mm-hmm. desires. You know, so does so does that pig. So I th- I think there I think there is a connection between changes in attitude towards pets and then how we are uh, and changes in our concern for animals generally. Well, and we see it uh, with SeaWorld. SeaWorld is now no longer going to keep doing shows with orca whales. I guess they'll keep the current bunch they have, but they won't be breeding any in captivity. And I mean that again is 
that was that was due to a lot of pressure, social pressure, and I mean, it, think of that. It changes the whole Sea World experience. It does indeed. And, and to me, there's an interesting irony here. I was thinking about this the other day. The reason, when I was a kid, uh, orcas, you know, we didn't call them orcas, we called them killer whales, and they were seen as being evil. Mm. Um, they, they, were, they were said that they, you know, in packs, that they would uh, uh, attack you know, the good whales and, uh, that, and, and were, were dangerous to people. And the interesting thing to me is that there's places like SeaWorld that sort of changed that attitude. Right. Because all of a sudden they're bringing them to captivity. They're interesting. Shows and people are starting to see how magnificent, how smart they are. And then there were movies like Free Willy and, of course, Blackfish. And what happened is now SeaWorld, which was originally responsible, I think, in part for shifting the paradigm value yeah. about that, now it's shifted the other way. And so we sort of come full circle on this. Wow. And so really, I mean, again, I guess evidence that we are shifting our view toward animals. And yet uh, I'm assuming with big, you know, pet companies that are supplying food and and all the supplies you need, uh, there's also the promotion that we all should own a pet. And, and it should be good for us, is, is it, do you find that to be, are certain people better pet owners than others? Oh, of course. There are some people that are horrendous pet owners, <laughs> and there are some people that are great, there are some people that are great, that are great pet owners. Um, How do we decide if we should be getting one? Well, that's a really good, that's a really good question, and sometimes you don't really know, and I had an interesting example of that. I was talking to a journalist one time. Uh, she had moved to New York, and she was lonely, and mm. she had never had a pet before, and she had actually written stories about pets being good for people and, and all that, so she, and so she, she thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm lonely in New York. What I need is a dog to keep me as a companion, and she went out and got herself a Weimaraner her puppy. And, uh, you know, was originally sort of a, somewhat attached to the puppy. But, you know, she told me we were talking about it. She said, you know, the bottom line is I'm really not that attached to this dog. And now I don't know what to do. I feel guilty about having it. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I can give it away. And now I'm stuck with this animal Trapped. in a relatively small apartment <laughs> and I'm not attached to it. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes you don't really know. Mm. It's true, though. Huh? And I guess you don't know until you're, you're in too deep. Sometimes that's the case, and sometimes some people do get in too deep, and uh, we call them hoarders, and mm. that's not good for the per- people, and it's not good for the animals that are the the victims of their well-intentioned, uh, you know, basically collecting of you know crazy numbers of numbers of animals in their home. As we wrap it up, talk to us a little bit about your book. Um, it's it seems like it's such a great title of a book, really. Uh, and just maybe let us know what what's in the book. The book's titled "Some We Love, Some We Hate, Some We Eat." And um, what I'd love you to do is just explain what we would find in the book. Yeah, what you would find is a uh, a, a look at our the human animal relationship from the perspective of anthozoology, which is the new science of human animal relationships. It's a branch of psychology, sociology. History, veterinary medicine, lots of different things, and my uh, basic assumption is that we learn a lot about ourselves by uh, by how by studying how we look at animals. So it covers everything from the ethics of uh, animal research to uh, whether or not uh, you know if you were to come back as a chicken, would you rather come back as a, a fighting cock or a McNugget? And I conclude <laughs> you'd rather come back as a fighting cock. I'd rather be a fighting cock um, myself. <laughs> there you go. It covers our relationship with pets. It covers our relationship with meat. 
And it, the, the basic theme is how do you wake up in the morning and decide how to be a good person? Hmm. I mean, it really, it's, and, and how we treat our animals is probably a pretty good gauge of what kind of person we are based on our culture, I guess. But it's very, very complicated. Yeah, it is. It's very complicated very fast. You know, why do we, why do we eat one animal with, without a bit of guilt and we, and we bring another animal into our lives and love it and love it so, mm. so deeply? Interesting. And again, happiness. We may feel happy holding a pet, and it seems like, you know, they're taking pets to people in, uh, you know, senior centers to help them be happy and heal. Is is that happiness? Is that happiness coming from the animal? Is it a placebo effect, or is there an actual physiological benefit to it? Okay. Well, there's, there's, if you take if you take that animal into a nursing home, what you get, what you find is that there is a for some people, a lot of people, there is a physiological benefit. You actually change their blood pressure, you change their levels of the uh, social bonding hormone oxytocin. You get a little rush of dopamine, which is the uh, reward hormone. On the other hand, if and this was a recent Gallup poll, and other studies have found the same thing. If you go out and survey Americans and you say, you know, rate your, you know, you know, rate your scale of happiness on a scale of one to ten. What you find is that pet owners don't rate any happier as a group than non-pet owners. Mm. So pets are not pets are not placebo. They, excuse me, that pets are not panaceas. Yeah. Um, they they uh, they 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 can be incredibly incredibly rewarding, but not for everyone. We've we've always had pets, and I get a, I get a kick out of my cat, especially now that we can watch cat videos together. <laughs> Which I highly recommend that yeah, all, all your listeners do. I think, Hal, you probably have your own cat video website you're trying to promote. No, I don't. I have absolutely no. I have absolutely no. You need, you need <laughs> no to get some money in the I'm game, Hal. absolutely fascinated by it. <laughs> I think it's great. Well, we appreciate you. It's wonderful insight. And uh, for all the dog owners and animal lovers out there, uh, you know, it, it does do a lot, I think, for us to just think about why we do what we do and, and think about why you eat what you eat. And where's the disconnect sometimes? Um, interesting stuff. Let, 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 me, yeah. let me mention one more thing real yeah. quick. Um, I write, uh, you, you, you know, go buy my book. That'd be great. But on the other hand, I write a, a blog uh, for Psychology Today magazine, which you can get absolutely for free. And it's called Animals and Us. So if you just Google Animals mm. and Us, uh, my blog will pop up and you can get... Um, you know, lots, lots of stuff of, on yeah, lots of stuff on human animal interactions from that blog site. Good stuff, and we love we we love the the blogs on psychology today. Uh, Hal, thanks so much. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll you know I'll see you in the chat room on the cat site. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, thanks take, for having take me. Take care, you bet. Good Bye-bye. stuff. Good stuff. Uh, appreciate again, Doctor uh, Hal Herzog. When you think about it, it's we just have these animals, right? And most of us aren't thinking too deeply about it, but it might be good to to you know figure out why and what you feel, and even open up some conversations with your kids about what they do feel when they're holding the animal, or when they're serving it, or when they're helping it when it's hurt. Uh, you know, there's a lot of lessons in how we handle and treat our animals. Great stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. Helping you live longer, love stronger, and uh, maybe even get a pet. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. It's that time of the show when we like to do a little bit of uh, empty news for you. And we've got some good ones here today. We, I think we talked about this, uh, we teased this, I think, last week or so. There's a Sydney ferry that uh, they were trying, they're opening up the voting to to name the ferry. And this has been done in, in other places before. Ferry McFerry Face? Ferry McFerry Face. Did you just guess? <laughs> well, I'm I'm remembering a little You're bit. remembering, so there's, mm-hmm. there was Bodie McBoat Face. And uh, now there's Ferry McFerry Face. Aww. New South Wales state government officials overruled the most popular name for the ferry after the trendsetter was first snubbed last year as a name for a British poplar surve- or polar survey vessel. Poplar, that's a tree, right? Um, something like that. <laughs> that ship was christened Sir David Attenborough in honor of the naturalist and broadcaster and I was thinking it was Richard Attenborough, the actor, but that's different. And Bodie McBoatface became the name of one of its remotely operated submarines. Given Bodie was already taken by another vessel, we've gone with the next most popular name nominated by Sydney Siders. Wow, I didn't know that Sydney-ites? was... Sydneyites? No, Sydney Siders. I think they should vote on a new name for right. what to call people from as Sydney. As long as we're holding votes. Go ahead. New South Wales Minister for Transport and Infrastructure Andrew Constant said in a statement, uh, Ferry McFerry Face will be the harbor's newest icon, and I hope it brings a smile to the faces of visitors and locals alike, he added. Ferry McFerry Face joins the ranks of Trainee McTrain Face, a Swedish express train, and Horsey McHorse Face, a Sydney racehorse, after a trend started by a suggestion from a former BBC radio host. I love it. This is makes so me great. so happy. I just hope that people don't start uh, taking this into the baby naming arena. It's it's the curmudgeons that I don't understand. It's so there've been a couple of these though where they open up to to you know fan audience naming or whatever and they don't think that they're going to get a an insert, you know, whatever Bodie McBoat face kind of answer because yeah. you always will. From now until eternity, if you open up your thing for yep. naming, that will be the number one answer. So if you're not willing to do that, do not let them vote. It really restores your faith in local government that they have faith in you to be able to use your vote the way that you want to. Also, before Bodie McBoatface, most of the submissions for things that were audience submitted were pretty inappropriate. So I think yes. we've taken a couple steps forward in And it's great that we humanity. can sh- that we show that we don't have to take ourselves so darn seriously. Yeah. Well, uh, here's another one. That uh, sounds eerily familiar. A Pennsylvania man is facing charges after allegedly attempting to conceal multiple bags of shrimp from a store in his pants. Hmm. Annabelle Batista Jr., 49, is facing felony retail theft charges for the incident. Uh, Can you imagine the police work on this? The paperwork? Shrimp in pants. Someone's got to do it. (laughs) Felony for shrimp in pants. On November 9th, police were summoned to a grocery store for a suspect in custody for retail theft. Upon arrival, police learned that Batista Jr. concealed multiple bags of shrimp down his pants and attempted to leave the store without paying for them. He was taken into custody without incident and given a $10,000 unsecured bail. Man. 
I wonder if it would have been a lesser charge if it was like fish sticks, you know, because shrimp, they're a little more expensive kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fish sticks, you almost expect somebody to put fish sticks in your pants. I'm not sure why, but uh, it seems like that it's yeah, it's definitely lower on the totem pole of fish. Correct. Yeah. When was the last time you had a fish stick, Cole? Um, I would wager the sixth grade, maybe. Yeah, I was probably 12, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, the reason I said this is eerily familiar is because it seems like we've had another meat down the pants story before. And uh, it must be a big thing because now there's a new game show that talks about this very thing. There's a new game show that's setting out to answer the question, Will it fit? On Will It Fit, contestants try and squeeze various groceries into their pants. Items like a 20-pound bag of ice, a case of dog food, and a pineapple. Will it break? Will it hurt? And most importantly, Will It Fit? Coming soon to BGC. Insomnia. I think I scared McKenna Bass there a second. Insomnia is not just the name of a a good Christopher Nolan movie, but uh, it's a real problem for a lot of people. And here to shed more light on this insomnia problem is McKenna Bass. McKenna Bass is in the house. That I am. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. I had a really good Thanksgiving. A lot of fun. Great. So, what can you tell us about insomnia? Didn't mean to scare you, by the way. You're good. Um, <laughs> so, the interesting thing is, is insomnia, a lot of people say they have it when they ac- actually don't. But it seems that it's m- one of the biggest problems is, even if you don't technically have insomnia, if you think you do, if you tell yourself you're not getting enough sleep, even if you are, you're going to suffer the bad side effects. What? Yeah, Wait, a lot is of this, it's in your head. Is this like, what's the disease where you think you have to, is that hypochondria? Yeah, it's um, people who are hypochondriacs are more likely to have the symptoms of this, but anybody who is slightly more neurotic, just more high strung is also going to be prone to suffering the negative health effects of insomnia, even if they're getting enough sleep. So what are some of these negative effects? Um, So you get increased blood pressure, anxiety, things like that. And it's really interesting um, because not only do if you think you have insomnia, you're going to feel those, but even if you technically meet the criteria for insomnia, you're, you know, constantly, chronically not getting enough sleep. If you think you're getting enough sleep... If you're saying, I don't think I'm an insomniac, even if you're only sleeping, you know, four hours a night. Okay. You're not, you're a lot less likely to have those negative health effects. Really? Yeah. So we can, okay, we can lie to ourselves. Uh, and interesting. Okay. So what are some of the criteria then? So that's part of the problem is right now the criteria for what it counts to be an insomniac is really broad. It's Hmm. somebody, a person with insomnia is someone who has trouble falling or staying asleep. That's like the technical definition. And that is pretty wide. That that can encompass a lot of people. And that's one of the reasons you're seeing a lot of these effects is people say, well, I have a hard time falling asleep. But they may have a hard time falling asleep 
and then fall asleep, sleep fine, but because they're telling themselves, I'm having a hard time falling asleep, I'm yeah. not doing this right, it leaves them falling asleep at, in a sort of heightened state of stress that negatively impacts the quality of sleep that they are getting. This is so not a problem for me. I, I feel like there have been times when I've been standing up and I felt like I could literally fall down asleep. That, to me, says, though, that you probably should be sleeping more if you're feeling like you could pass out like that. That's You're probably right. Uh, but for me, I mean, I'm a person who I've always said, yeah, I barely sleep. You know, I, I don't sleep well or I'm a deep sleeper, but I sleep hardly at all. And now I'm wondering if maybe the reason I feel so tired is because I'm telling myself that I should be. Hmm. And so interesting. it's a really interesting sort of example of the amount of control our minds have over our own bodies. We're able to really think our way in and out of a lot of health problems and solutions. But it seems like if you're only getting four hours of sleep a night, even if you're able to successfully lie to yourself into thinking you're getting enough sleep, it's got to catch up with you sooner or later, right? Um, I think that... To an extent, yes, but there is stu- there are studies out there that show that different people do end up needing different amounts of sleep. And so that's also going to be playing into this. You know, some people can get away with having, I don't know, four hours would be what I'd recommend, but, you know, no. less than that recommended seven to eight and be totally Ugh. fine, where there's other people who may need closer to eight to nine and even seven leaves them feeling and too lethargic. And that's one of me as Jeff's over here yawning. This is a and genuine yawn and stretch, by the <laughs> way. Catching up on his Thanksgiving sleep. I am one of those people where I can have a consistent, like, do all the things you're supposed to do, fall asleep at the right time, get eight hours before I wake up, wake up, like, take a cold shower, whatever it takes, and I do not feel rested. I need a little bit more sleep. I'm always ready for a nap. Are you telling yourself that you're not getting enough sleep? That might be your problem. If I thought I felt fine, but... Okay. I'm just waiting know. for somebody to make it law that we have to get nine hours of sleep. Can I you remember the last time you got so nine hours of sleep? Cole, you can't answer that question. Yeah. Because <laughs> you routinely get... Ago. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. McKenna Bowles, you've done it again. And uh, I wasn't yawning at what you were saying, but more of the subject matter because I'm so tired. You talk about you know falling asleep and everybody <laughs> wants to go take a nap. I can't blame them. BBC News is up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. We've got here Terry South, as always, our wonderful producer. He's, he's always here. He never takes vacation. And when he does take vacation, that is forced. He uh, looks forward to the day when he can return to work. Cole, are you like that? No. Terry South representing the minority of folks. He's the anomaly, folks. I love I love my job as much as – I love my job more than the next guy, I would imagine. I come on. I talk to you guys about things, movies on Fridays with yes. Jeff. And, and it's fun to come into work, but it's fun to sleep too. It's fun to get a break. It's fun to sleep and just be totally irresponsible for a time you bet. so that you can really appreciate uh, how important it is to be responsible. 
I think you need to have a little bit of both. You know, you need to you need to be irresponsible a little bit by sleeping in and maybe watching a little TV, not in the big areas, but just those areas of your life so that you can really appreciate, golly, I miss I actually miss getting something done. Wow. If only I could get that much sleep, Cole. <laughs> then I could appreciate it. Welcome back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, and uh, we've got a lot of fun topics, including we're going to continue talking about Thanksgiving, Christmas decorations. I know Terry wanted to give us some more information on maybe the the psychology behind the timing of the decorations and uh, what your neighbors think of you when you decorate too early. Being a homeowner sounds fun. You have some stability, some assets. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking forward to being in a neighborhood. Really? Why? Because that all just sounds like things I don't care about. You don't so like you don't the want way to be my around neighbors other decorate the way I decorate affecting the way my neighbors decorate. Well, just don't let it nah. bother you. But you can still be around people. I guess. I'd rather not. So you'd rather like be someplace in like Boise, Idaho, where you've got your own plot of land where you don't oh, have to communicate Boise's, with Boise's a real town. I want to be somewhere where no one knows the name of the town. It's Whoa. so small. Okay. And I can't see my neighbors. We're learning a lot about you, Cole. This is very interesting. Wow. That way, if I decorate, it's for me, you know? I, I know that if I'm decorating my house, it's because I love Christmas. So if you Not were to make a film... You wouldn't want anybody to see it. Correct. Yeah. If I was going to be on the radio, for instance, wouldn't want anyone to listen. <laughs> that is very interesting. Hmm. Terry, you mentioned that uh, you guys have finally started putting up some Christmas decorations. Well, my wife did. Oh, your wife. You, you haven't participated nope. yet. What about, I mean, she hasn't put you up on the roof yet? Nope. We have, we have a, uh, an agreement. That I won't do that. <clears throat> do you think what, – what do you think is some of the psychology behind the timing of putting up Christmas decorations? Because oh, we'll get into that. Oh, I'm excited because I'm wondering since we put up Christmas decorations too early, does that mean that maybe we're not happy in life or maybe we're not satisfied with our current situation that we have to look forward that far in advance to something that always brings us joy? I hope not. I don't. I just don't want to hang off the front of my house to put up lights that are going to be up there for a couple of weeks, and then go have to hang off the top or in the front of my house and take lights back off. I just don't see the. Let's, you, we'll decorate the front of the house. We or the the inside of the house. We put like a wreath on the door, so you know we're not. You know, people see that. Yeah, okay, Christmas. But I just don't see that. I already hung off my father's house to put up his lights. Yeah, because my mom wants the lights up, so I go over there and help out. So I feel like I've done my duty. Even though it's not in my house, I've already put up lights. See, that seems like an ideal situation, though, because you can see the fruits of your labor, but you don't have to, you don't have the responsibility. Oh, no, you live close by, so you're probably taking them down, too. No, no, no. My dad can just, he has a two by four and he just pop them right off as he oh, walks that's down perfect. the house. He just can't put them up there. You know, there is the solution. You could just hire one of those companies to do it. There are companies that exist that do that for you. But it's also very simple to climb a ladder and put the lights up. It also seems like one of those things you really don't want to pay for. No. Surely there's some intrepid young high schoolers in your neighborhood that would be willing to (laughs) climb on a roof to make a couple bucks. Sure, but... You can do laundry at my house for a week if you put up those Christmas lights. <laughs> there it is. I'm just I 
don't have, I don't know what it is. I just don't have interest in doing that. Hmm. And we'll dec- we decorate in other ways, you know. I yeah, I'm very value based. So yeah, if I'm, I don't want to do something that is only going to be around for a couple of weeks. I want it to be spread out as far as possible so that I can feel like we really got our money, or in this case, our time's worth. Right. Then be like the homes in my hometown where you put up the icicle looking <laughs> lights and you do leave them up all year round, and it's very mm. value based. Icicles mm. in July, it looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're in an HOA, though, you might get some complaints. You might get some complaints if you're not in an HOA. Anyway, more Christmas talk here in just a minute. We'll also, uh, in just a few minutes, be talking to our guest about leadership and unleashing talent. Hmm. That's something that uh, if you're if you're an employer, if you're a leader, you want to figure out how you can get the most out of your employees and really create a, a more pleasant working environment. Then you'll want to tune into uh, to this discussion that we're going to have here in just a, a minute here with Sean Moon. But before we do all of that, let's head over to Terry South, who's going to take, give us a taste of what's going on around the rest of the country. Senator Al Franken vowed to regain his constituents' trust on Sunday, saying that he was ashamed by the revelations from four women who claimed that the senator uh, had inappropriate contact with them as he was giving them a hug or other sort of common, uh, I guess you, when you meet people you want to take a photograph with, you just you, you get close and arms go around each other and they're saying he did things and he doesn't see it that way, but he understands if they do see it that way. It's, it's kind of confusing how this whole thing yeah. is being described. It's so tough when it comes from a hug, too, because there, it's open for so much interpretation. Like, yes. oh, he held that hug just a millisecond too long. Right. You know? So. I don't know. It says he gave no indication that he was planning on resigning. He says, I'm embarrassed and ashamed. I've let a lot of people down, and I'm going to hope that I can make it up to them by gradually regaining their trust. He said, adding that it is uh, his return to the Senate, and he's returning to the Senate today. Some of the alley, uh, alleged incidents occurred when Franken was posing for photos with women. He goes, I don't remember these photographs. I don't, he said. This is not something I would intentionally do. He vowed to be more careful and a lot more sensitive in these situations, and he has said that he will cooperate with the Senate Ethics Committee investigation into his conduct. Back to the the old handshake, but then, you know, if you linger too long with the handshake, then you'll be accused of unwanted handshakes. Right. I, I don't mean to downplay any of these allegations, no. but it's now, tough. Several years ago, the uh, head football coach at the University of Texas, he wouldn't take a photograph with anybody. Interesting. With, with all hands needed to be up front. You had to do the hook em horn sign, which is what they, they do for their school, right? This is mm-hmm. school pride. Mm-hmm. Everyone did that with both hands because he wanted to make sure all hands were visible in every photograph just, to avoid yeah, the situation. Everybody just put your hands up in the air during every photo so you yeah. can't be accused of anything. And that's what he did because he was concerned that of this very yeah. problem that, that Al Franken's Smart. experiencing. Yeah. The Meredith Corporation Media Group announced Sunday that it is acquiring Time, Inc. in a $2.8 billion all-cash deal, according to CNBC. Meredith had unsuccessfully attempted to buy Time, Inc. earlier this year. In 2013, the bid is supported by an affiliate of billionaire brothers Charles and David Koch, who are known for fostering their conservative uh, political agendas and views, uh, the position on economies, those kind of things. So there's some question on the editorial input for Time, Inc. going forward. If you Mm -hmm. have backers and a lot of money, does that change your viewpoints? Does it change how you're... You're moving that way. They are saying the uh, brothers will have no editorial input on the board 
or even a board seat in the combined company. They just donate. Mm. They just put money into the deal. So yeah. we'll see how that goes forward. Also, we have the there's the Time Warner AT and T situation right. going on. Also, which is a different different set of companies, and if those mergers are allowed to go forward, so this is all kind of a, a bigger story. As a lot of companies are looking to combine forces, but they can't, or they they don't know how to go forward until the Department of Justice decides what they're doing with Time Warner and AT&T. President Trump will meet with Senate Republicans Tuesday to discuss tax reform legislation. Senate Republican Policy Committee Chair uh, John Brazaro of Wyoming announced on Friday, he goes, this is a historic opportunity for our conference and for the president to build on our momentum to give America the tax relief they've been waiting for. Uh, Trump similarly visited the House Republicans before the lower chamber passed its version of the tax reform plan. Word is that meeting had very little to do about taxes because they felt like they had such a, a cushion of votes that they didn't really even discuss it. Trump this, came in and just kind of talked to everyone and had a great time, and they moved on. <laughs> this will be huge for him, though, because I, people will be able to say that he finally did something, right? right? And that's what they want. They want to win going into midterms next year. Yeah. problem is there's six senators, which are kind of wild cards at the moment. Yep. We'll see how that works. I was reading an article with John McCain in Esquire over mm-hmm. the weekend, not too... As you'd imagine, not too favorable of the current president. Sure. Criticized him on many different levels. So I'm not sure if, uh, will will it be against Trump or will he stay with being a conservative and vote for the party and Mm. their their plan when it comes to taxes? That's really the question with John McCain. Finally, putting up your Christmas lights and decorations early might just make you a better person. (gasps) I knew it. At least in the eyes of your neighbors. That's the result of a new study conducted by the Journal of Environmental Psychology. Getting your holiday decorations up before the official season begins is a simple but surprisingly effective way to come off as friendly, inviting, and easy to approach. In fact, the report states that a house with lights and other Christmas items cues as a way of communicating accessibility to neighbors. There you go. Which is why no one comes to my house. See, is it wrong for me to say I knew I was a good person? Um, <laughs> it, it feels wrong. I don't know if it is wrong. <laughs> it's better than saying, I knew I was better than Joe Schmo that lives next door. Right. And that's how people refer to people without lights is they're called Schmoes. Yeah. I say so, hoobity a lot. Like when I don't want to put the effort into saying, you know, like, oh, my... My sister-in-law is coming over tonight, or I shouldn't say that because in case anybody in my family is listening. Right, true. But yeah, if I don't want to process the name quickly, I'll just say Hoobity. 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 Hmm. One of the Hoobities coming over. So it says participants in the study were shown a series of houses, some with holiday decorations, some without, and were asked their feelings on the owners based on the house's appearance. So it's all about mm. curb appeal here, right? Okay. Despite having never met, par- uh, participants felt that the owners of the houses that went all out for Christmas cheer seemed more friendly and cohesive than those without lights. So they're, they're <sighs> like, that person's easygoing, they're nice, they're approachable. The person without lights, a curmudgeon or Grinch, they don't like Christmas. See, they're just making social judgment here. That's a good point, though, because let's say you want to open a, a line of conversation with a neighbor who are you? Who do you? Who is going to be more likely to be open to that conversation? The neighbor with all the welcome signs and the lights, or the neighbor that has the the dark orange light that scares uh, you in the middle of the night? In the study, they showed them big houses that were decorated, small houses that were decorated, just to make sure it wasn't like a socioeconomical type thing. They said beyond all range, all ranges of houses throughout yeah. that if they were decorated. 
positive. If they're not decorated, negative. Really? So the, the bigger decorated house isn't any better than the smaller decorated house? It just, they, they proved good. to make no difference That's as participants good. felt the decorations equated to hospitality and friendliness regardless of class. Okay, so we've heard this study's opinion on the matter, but what is your opinion on the matter? I totally understand this. You see a house with lights, it looks like that person enjoys Christmas and they're trying to celebrate and they're trying to, in that kind of outward way of putting it on your house, you're sharing that with the neighborhood because you're decorating the neighborhood, right? Yeah. So everyone gets to enjoy Christmas as they drive down the street. Be interesting. Are I'm those still people not putting up lights? So. Are those people any? Uh, less likely to slam the door on a solicitor. Ooh, probably. Because there are people in your neighborhood, of course, yeah, mm-hmm. you're, you'll be welcoming and, and happy to see them, but somebody who maybe you don't want coming to your door, you didn't mm-hmm. ask for, would you be kind to them? I don't know. Hmm. I'm not somebody that can, if if the solicitor knows that I'm in the house, I cannot not answer the door. I have to answer the door. Really? Yes. I just think I, I can't I can't live with that guilt of just completely ignoring somebody. I can't ignore someone. Wow. Yeah, I don't answer the door all the time. In the technology age, if my friend has not texted me saying, hey, I'm knocking on your door right now, yeah. I don't particularly answer the door to anyone. Yeah. Now, having- when, when my son runs down, opens the door... You know what I mean? Yeah. They open the door just because someone knocked. They go running. Yeah, I end up having to talk to whoever's there. But the problem (sighs) is I'm not going to buy something off my doorstep, right? So whatever you're offering, I've already got this block. I'm not purchasing whatever that is. If I need something, I go find it. You come to me on my doorstep, I'm not seeing quality there. Unfortunately, we have purchased several things. Most of it comes from... You know, so-and-so from our church is raising money for his football team. So we'll, yeah. we'll support that. Sure. These kids wanted to paint our curb. We did that. And it, it has to do with do I know the person that yeah. I, I tend to answer. If I don't know the person, then I think they're there simply trying to I've, – I've got this carpet cleaning syrup stuff and we want to come in your house and you know yeah. make a mess and clean it up. I had – Hoover people, or I had Bloover people there come go, yeah. to our house. Matt's a little sensitive to that, so two days in a row. Oh, nice. Two days in a row. Must be a great vacuum. So, and I, I don't like it when they use the tactics of, oh, you don't, you don't want a clean carpet. No, it's a horrible thing to say because, yeah, what are you supposed to? And I, yeah, I think I did say that. I was like, no, yeah, I'm fine with a dirty carpet. Yep. The other tactic, the other tactic I've used, uh, they've used is they they say, "Hey, we just talked to your neighbors down the street. They they love our product. All this." Like, oh, really? Who are they? See, What's but, their name? Oh, well, we can't tell you that. I'm like, well, then how do I know they exist? See, or but you just every <laughs> so, the, okay. Here's the thing: everybody that's come around our neighborhood, they've been able to give names. Like, I haven't asked oh, wow. for them, but they're like the so and sos. Mm-hmm. They they signed up, and the so and sos over here they signed up. And I've always wondered after the fact. Did they really sign up or did they somehow get their name? Did they see names on mailboxes and then yes. mention them? Yeah. Like our our name is on our mailbox now? Yeah. So, Well, yeah. think of me. My name would be on my mailbox anyways because it's south, right? It's a direction. That's, the, That's just, true. It's, it's involved. So it kind of, yeah. Hmm. Oh, I wish I knew more of the tactics so I knew how to maneuver around them. Because I'm the type of person – that for the most part, if uh, somebody calls me on the phone, so I'll, do, do, I'll talk do, to them on the phone. Okay. But then there are other times. So I'll, I I have no scruples about hanging up on them mid-conversation. 
But if somebody knows that I'm home, I have to answer the door. Wow. It's that face-to-face thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Don't put up Christmas lights. You can't see their face. Right. They're not there. Do you have Christmas lights on your house, Jeff? We've ordered them. We tried to put some on the inside of our house in the window, but, uh-huh. like, the tape is starting to fall off, so it looks really shoddy workmanship. Okay. Right. So we're going to take those down. Right. And we're still waiting for the lights to show up. Okay. But you're going to put like, – you you are going to decorate your yes. house. It'll just be – you know, we're going to do it a year at a time. Uh, we just have a strip along the front of the house. Okay. That'll be year number one. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is year number two in our new house. But. I just I watched my neighbors this weekend all crawl along the roofs trying to – there's the two approaches. One, you put up a ladder and climb up and then hang them off the rain gutters, right? Or you get on the roof and then you crawl along trying to go the other way, not trying to fall off your house, but, you know, moving in that direction as yeah. you set up the lights. And both of them, like, I just don't see why that needs to be done right now. That was more of my line of thinking when we had our Seattle house. It was so steep. The roof was so steep. Oh, yeah. I wasn't really feeling the Christmas spirit. It was more just don't die. Huh. They could be the same thing. <laughs> you could equate the two. I guess in a way, I, I'm still alive and it's another Christmas. That's a great way to think of it, isn't it? Absolutely. Just surviving the holidays one day at a time. When we return, we're going to be speaking with Sean Moon, who's going to be talking to us about how we can unleash our talent. Talent unleashed when we return. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. And, uh, you know, if you're a CEO, a manager, a parent, even just a decent citizen, you know there are many styles and approaches to leadership. What if you could identify a single factor that everyone agrees makes a positive difference in the performance of individuals and companies worldwide? Well, we've got Sean Moon on the show today, and he's currently the CEO of Zero Res Franchising Systems, a national carpet cleaning company, and he's the former executive vice president of Franklin Covey, and he has the answer to this question. He suggests the key to leadership is unleashing the talent of those you work with. And as I said, he joins us today to discuss the book he co-authored, Talent Unleashed. Sean, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be with you. Sean, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say today because we've actually kind of just gone through a leadership change here at BYU Broadcasting. And so, you know, there there's a lot of transition that's going on and trying to get a feel for leadership style and, and also on the leadership end, them wanting to unleash our potential. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, there are some ideas here that could could be good for both us, the employees, and and the higher-ups as well. Great. I hope so, too, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I I really uh, subscribe to the notion, as as I know you do, and and I'm sure everybody else does as well, but that leadership matters, that leadership makes a difference. And this is a tricky topic, right? Because when we're talking about leadership, we're talking about several different facets. I don't think there's one... You know, simple answer to uh, to leadership. If you think about what leadership means, you've got. Uh, if you think about this in context of an organization, you've got leadership at the senior sort of executive level. You've got leadership at the mid to senior level. 
You've got first-time leaders and managers, those who have uh, who were are, are um, ascend to a position of leadership because they were really, really good at their previous job as an individual yeah. contributor. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because you know they were they had demonstrated great leadership skills necessarily. And then it, it, it sort of begs the question: Is leadership even tied to a position? And don't you want everyone? in an organization to be a leader, yeah. whether they have supervisory or managerial responsibilities or not. I mean, we all have our own lives, and we are all the leaders of our own lives. We're leaders in our families. We're leaders in our communities. And so this idea of leadership is very broad, and it, it, it encompasses every level in the organization, every role in the organization, from the first person that, uh, you know, the, the, the last person that you hired, all the way to the to the CEO. So it's an interesting topic. I love that idea that everybody's a leader and why does it have to be tied to a certain position that we hold? Now, uh, I'm I'm just going to say that I love our leaders and I, I'm I'm not saying that just because my boss, Don Shaline, was just in the room and is probably listening right now. But, uh, yeah, I, I do love the idea. There are certain qualities that some of our leaders here have that I really admire and that, you know, I've, I've had leaders in the past where they just don't seem to get how to be a good leader. So I'm curious to know, you, you wrote here that leadership is a conversation. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So, I, you know, let me just start with a couple of, of premises here. The first premise is that that um, uh, leaders I mean, think of, think about your own experience. Leaders make a difference, as I mentioned. Um, think about a leader in your life who made a difference. Someone that uh, you look back on and say, "My life is different. The trajectory of my life is different." Because of my relationship with this person, it might have been someone who had supervisory responsibility, it might have been a teacher, a parent, or some other influential person in your life. But you think about what they did, right? Isn't there something that they saw in you? The first premise that I would suggest is that leaders see things in others that that uh, that others don't see. Um, and all of our lives are touched by these, these sort of rare encounters with people who saw something in us that we didn't see in us, but because they did, you know, we live up to that level of, uh, of expectation. Our lives are different. Second premise is that as leaders, you know, we are constantly communicating. The, 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 the focus of this book really is on this idea of conversations and communication, and that as leaders, uh, you know, we're communicating constantly, whether we intend to or not, whether it's deliberate or not. You know, what we say to someone communicates something. What we don't say oh, absolutely. To communicates something. Uh, you know, what time we show up to work, what time we leave. Those, it's, it's very interesting in, 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 you know, our most recent current events and the firestorm that has hit our nation around behavior. And, and, you know, those are the kinds of things that communicate. We are constantly communicating. And, and my point, our point, as my co-authors and I, is that we should be deliberate about this communication and that we can be deliberate about this communication and that we can be one of those differentiated leaders, you know, that, uh, that gets extraordinary results through people. 
Yeah. So in your book, you, you mentioned three different types of conversations that these leaders should be having. And you've got the performance conversation, the voice conversation, and the clearing the path conversation. I was hoping you could spend a little time talk about each of those. Yeah, happy to. So these aren't the only conversations that a leader has. These aren't, we're not suggesting that these are sort of once and done sure. kinds of conversations. Um, these are ongoing conversations that can happen at any time. They can happen formally and they can happen informally. There is an order and sequence. It doesn't mean that you have to be lockstep in all of this, but the first conversation that we positioned, we had a big debate uh, as we were writing this book about how do we sequence these, and we, we all concluded that that the first conversation that leaders need to just make sure is part of their regular communication is what we call a voice conversation. And a voice conversation is, is a very, very powerful tool. In fact, going back to the question that I, I posed a minute ago, think about who is that leader, right, that, that communicated, that saw something in you that you didn't see in you, but your, your life, the trajectory of your life and the trajectory of your career and of your contribution is different because of them. That's what we mean when we say a voice conversation that, uh, that helps unleash the potential in, in other humans. It's a process to helping people find and implement their unique talents and capabilities, what we call their voice. Each of us has a voice, and great leaders do something to bring that voice forward. So that's the first conversation. The second conversation is what we call the performance conversation. Let me just take a step back. Back in the early 60s at Harvard University and other places, but spearheaded primarily by a great thought leader, a man named Warren Bennis and others, you know, there became this distinction between management and leadership. Uh, the premise being that, you know, managers do things right. They manage things well. But that leaders do the right things. They know the right things to focus on. And I like that distinction, and I can frankly argue around that distinction pretty clearly. But I would also assert pretty strongly that great managers also need to be great leaders, and great mm. leaders need to be great managers, right? And so I use those terms, management and leadership, interchangeably somewhat uh, based on that. And one of the things that great leaders need to do is they need to manage performance. This is what the second conversation is all about. It's how do you how do you get the very best? I love to ask the question of people about, you know, how many of you love to have your annual performance review, which is uh, an interesting experience. And I typically get about 25% of the people in a, in a room, regardless of the size, who say, yeah, I, I like that. I like, I like to talk about my goals and my performance. I get about three quarters of the people who say, you know what? I hate that experience. Wow. So we, we process, why do you hate that experience? Because it's after the fact, you know, goals are given. Mm. We don't talk about it during the year. Performance isn't clear. Uh, you know, measurement and accountability is arbitrary. And so this, the second conversation kind of blows up this notion of the traditional performance, annual performance review. Not that those are bad things. I think they're good things, but it changes the nature of the conversation and turns it into an ongoing discussion. So that, so that um, you know, requirements are clear. So what the, would uh, I, I'm I'm curious what would that would that would look like? Would that just mean maybe you do periodic reviews throughout the yeah. year? Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's it's periodic reviews, and it it doesn't have to, and it can be formal in a formal setting, 
but it doesn't always have to be formal. But the, the key things to focus on the second conversation are this idea of what is the job that needs to be done, and are we all on the same page? Let's have clarity before we go into the year. What are the performance standards? What are the guidelines or the rules that we're going to play by? You know, what are the resources that I have available to me in, in terms of both people and money and time? Uh, how are we going to hold each other accountable? Because accountability is both ways, and when we're, when we're done, you know, how do I win or what are the consequences? So that's what we mean when we say this performance conversation. Yes, um, uh, Jeff, it is, it is formal, but it's also informal and ongoing. Mm. And then the third conversation is what we call the, the clear the path. It's this, you know, think of, think of leaders in your experience maybe in two camps. You've got the leader who, who knows every detail, and you've probably had this experience, you know, who wants to be involved in every detail, in every decision. You know, some might call this the micromanager, and nothing can be done without that person weighing in. That's sort of one end of the extreme. The other end of the extreme is this leader who, you know, gives the assignment, and then you never hear from again. Yeah. You know, it's abandonment. And we're suggesting, actually, there's a, there's a third way of thinking about this. It's the clear the path leader, the leader that runs alongside, doesn't do your job for you, but doesn't abandon you. And we'll ask maybe a couple really critical questions. Question number one, what are you learning? And question number two, and one of the critical roles of leaders, and I think so often goes undone, what can I as the leader do to remove barriers for you? Leaders are in a position because they are uniquely positioned to remove barriers, right? And that's one of the that's, – so that's the third conversation. Yeah, you know, you hear about uh, you hear a lot of these arguments for employers saying yes more to their employees. But what kind of a danger is there in this uh, clearing the path mentality? At what point have you taken it too far where you feel like they've given they've been given too much freedom? Yeah, you don't, you don't want to uh, confuse uh, empowerment with abandonment, right? Or with total abdication of your supervisory skills. That's why. There, is, there are three conversations, right? The second conversation really clarifies the job that needs to be done and who's going to play what role. And so that's, that's why you don't take these things in isolation. The, the sure. third conversation really is, okay, how you doing? What are you learning? What can I do to help? But you've already set the stage, the standards of here's the job that needs to be done and here's how we're going to hold you accountable. And here's the resources that we're going to provide. And so those two conversations really do go hand in hand. Yeah. So as I said earlier, we've kind of had a leadership change here at BYU Broadcasting, and they're trying all these exercises where they're trying to get some of the ideas out in the open. They want to make make it clear that our voices are being heard. Mm-hmm. What What is an effective way to really bring out somebody's talent that maybe you didn't see before, that you're trying to see? You know, I would... I would uh... Uh, encourage the team to to look at the conversations and to start with that first conversation, the voice conversation. There are four critical elements to to that conversation. The first is, you know, what the, the need? What does the world need from you? The second is, what is your passion? What are you? What do you love doing? And the third is, each of us has talents and gifts. What are you good at? And the fourth part of that voice conversation is your conscience. What do you feel you should do? Uh, 
Um, can I give you an example about how this plays in? I would love it, yeah. Because the voice conversation really comes at the nexus of those four things, the need, the passion, the talent, and the conscious. So I got a call uh, one Saturday morning. This is an organization that I was doing some, uh, some work with. And it was from uh, one, of the, one of the individuals that I'd gotten to know while we were working together. And, and he said, Sean, I got to... I got to tell you, I, uh, experience I just had this morning that was horrible. I said, "Well, tell me about it. what's going on," because this was a top performer. This was a talented guy, and he said, "I've been pursued by another organization to work there, and I've been really torn. I don't, I don't know what to do. I like my job here. This is a really cool opportunity, and what should I do?" And so I decided, maybe I just engage my boss and get her opinion on it. What I should do. So he called her up and said, hey, I've been pursued by this other organization. You know, what's your advice to me? And um, for whatever reason, the timing, I don't know, uh, she launched into him. And it oh, was no. And just sort of ripped him to shreds. And do you understand the amount of investment we've made in you and the problems this will cause? And why would you even consider this? And it just, and he, and he hung up from that, called me immediately and said, you know, I was in a quandary on what I should do. He said, I'm going to leave. Yeah. I can't. It, 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 we would all probably make that decision. So, you know, I talked with him. I listened to him. I encouraged him to remain, you know, uh, in conversation. Um, and hung up the phone really kind of frustrated. It wasn't five minutes, Jeff, before I, my phone rang again. And guess who it was? It was the <laughs> boss. Yeah. He said, Sean, I just had this conversation with this employee, and I blew it. Yeah. I overreacted. I, I just, I blew it. What should I do? Well, I let her know that I'd had the similar conversation with him. And I said, why don't you um, call him up again and ask if he'd be willing to have a voice conversation with you on Monday? This was Saturday morning. Um, and we walked through the elements of the voice conversation, which is what I just talked to. There's a series of some critical questions that, that uh, you go through. And she did, and he agreed. Monday, they talked for three hours, and he called me back and said, that was one of the most remarkable experiences of my career. Wow. And he ended up choosing to stay and stayed for several years and became one of the team's top performers for several years because it gave him an opportunity to explore some things, A, build trust with his boss, rebuild trust, which... which they both emerged from that feeling so much better about one another and about the trust on the team. But it changed the nature of his job. It changed the nature of his contribution. It changed his role. And he became an even greater performer. That's the power of this conversation. Wow. Thank you. I was just going to ask you for an example, and that's I think that's a perfect example of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, I'm curious to know, because obviously, you know, it, leadership shouldn't be relegated to you've got this position, so you're a leader. Everybody should should try to develop these leadership qualities. What what can you do, or what can you suggest for people that maybe aren't interested in in being a leader, or who might be interested, but they're just they're not what you would call a people person, or they they don't they have a hard time getting along with other people. What are some things that people can do to start developing some of these qualities of a leader? Yeah, that's a really great question, and I go back to my statement earlier that sort of you mentioned as well that leadership is is not necessarily 
tied to a position. That leadership is a choice. You know, I've studied leadership for and written about it and, and taught it and, and, you know, been in this realm for uh, most of my career. And what I've learned is that there are all kinds of different styles and different uh, skill sets. All kind is it's not all one personality type that is effective at this. You might be an introvert, you might be an extrovert. It doesn't matter. What matters is your you know your own authenticity and your ability to connect with people. There's a great book uh, you've probably read it uh, by Jim Collins, a uh, uh, one of my favorite business authors, and he, he talks about um, about different levels of leadership. And in, in his study of CEOs, he said they're all over the place in terms of their style, in terms of their demeanor. Uh, some are gregarious and some are introverted. It doesn't matter. Um, the focus for great leaders, you know, there are some critical things that, that can be developed. So, so the first point I would make there is that leadership is a choice. The second point I would make is that leadership is not the domain of a supervisory position or a managerial position only. It's is something that everyone can and should. And, and there are some things, I think, that one can do to develop leadership skills. I've, I've, I've learned the great power of having some kind of framework that assists in, in, uh, in development of skills. I, I, I really believe that before you can be an effective leader with other people, you've got to be an effective leader of yourself. You know, we're so committed to... Um, to uh, you know, we make a commitment to someone else. We keep that commitment, and we're 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 just so so committed to that idea. But how often do you and I and everybody else in the world make commitments to ourselves that we don't keep in the same way? We don't have the same level of intensity around those kinds of commitments. So leadership starts with how we lead our own lives. This idea that we are not victims. I know. I know you and Matt talk about this a lot, right, that, that, that you have to take control of your own life, and nobody else makes decisions for us. We make decisions for us. We are the most important person in our own lives because no one else makes that decision. And having that recognition, first and foremost, I think is, is one of the key building blocks to leadership. I think bringing clarity to, to what we want to, to have and do and be in our lives and, and not just living life by default, but living life deliberately, as Thoreau said. You know, um, um, having taking time out of the crazy busyness of life to set some critical goals, and then creating a system and a process for achieving those goals, and making sure that every single week you're focusing on one or two critical, important things that otherwise you wouldn't do. That's sort of the beginnings, right? And answer your question: How does one start? Well, you start by focusing on yourself. And then recognizing that, that uh, as you can lead your own life, you have the ability to influence other people. And that influence comes by, by how you see them and how you treat them and how you listen to them and how you recognize strengths in other people and help them. So this book is really intended to provide a simple little framework um, to guide you know, your influence with other people. And it's specifically designed for those who are in a supervisory position. But, but honestly, Jeff... Anyone can have these conversations. Anyone can lift and bless the lives of another person. And if, if you ask, and I do this all the time, to, for people to think of those in their life that made a difference, very often it's someone who, has a, someone who is a supervisor or a leader in some way, but very often it's someone who wasn't 
who was just a person, but that person had great influence over them or with them because of how they felt their genuine love and concern for them. And that's where leadership starts. Well, Sean, we really appreciate your time here on the Matt Townsend Show. He mentioned the book. The name of the book is Talent Unleashed, and it talks about how to unleash the talent of your coworkers and employees. Again, check it out. Sean Moon is his name. We really appreciate him here on the Matt Townsend Show. When we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. They'll tell us a little more about that big W over the Thanksgiving break. We'll return here in a minute. You're probably still full of turkey and stuffing after the Thanksgiving holiday. Well, we're going to try to stuff as much fun as we can here in the last few minutes of the show as we go over to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Jerem and Brian. Did you two have a fantastic Thanksgiving? Yes. Yeah, it was great. How how was yours? It was uh, was too short, as it always is. It always is. It always is. And I didn't get enough turkey. That's, that's unfortunate. That's it is a new problem. So <laughs> you gotta, yeah, gotta get to the front of the line faster, man. Yeah, exactly. You gotta, yeah, you gotta, you gotta work on that speed, man. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, there was some some good news over the Thanksgiving break with BYU football. I heard. I didn't see the game, but it they got a W. Yeah, it's fantastic. Indeed. Yeah, we fi- yeah finally. Got one. Well, it's more of, yeah, they, they beat Hawaii. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's more of a relief that the season's over. In yeah. Fact, we're, not even, we're not even discussing what happened in the Hawaii game that much. We're looking ahead to 2018 already. Yeah. We are, we, good riddance 2017 BYU football season. He's behind <laughs> us. Not lo- no looking back. No, seriously. Our, no our, tw- back. our Twitter question today is what's your off season to do list for BYU football? Hmm. We're not even saying, what was the best thing in Hawaii? Nope. Let's, done. let's project forward. Um, 278 think, days until Arizona. Let's go. Do you think there's a reason they end the season? It seems like they do it each year in Hawaii because I guess if you whether you win or lose the game, you're in Hawaii. Yeah. That, that was a consolation prize. Yeah. It's yeah, the bowl sure. game, especially if you don't have a bowl game. Did BYU treat it like it was a bowl game? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they had they yeah, the players were uh the question is why would you not yeah. treat it like a bowl game, Jaron? When, well, yeah, when you're three and nine, I, yeah. I can emphasize yeah, yeah. with that. Yeah, I, yeah, sure. yeah. So, uh, obviously, looking forward to next year. Hasn't been the best year in the world, but uh, we can look past that. Uh, Not really. Was this, <laughs> was this the best Thanksgiving for you ever? Did you get all the food that you wanted to, to eat? Did you get all the Black Friday deals that you wanted? Did you see all the movies you wanted to? I saw Coco. <gasps> I, did, I saw it Coco. was good. I saw Coco too. It was yeah. really good. Really, I liked it. Yeah, it was. It was. Really did, you, good. did you see it? Have you seen it? That was the one that we tried to see like five times, but it never worked out. Mm. Five times. Unfortunately, you tried really hard. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Five. That's, Didn't work geez. out. I did see Murder on the Orient Express. How was that? Uh, it, the clue it, movie, right? it was fun. It was fun. Uh, I think it fell apart by the end. Got a little mm. melodramatic. But I love movies like that. That. It's hard to see a movie uh, that you already know what the punchline is and mm. fully enjoy it. So I had that going in because I had already seen another iteration of that story. Mm. But, yeah, it was enjoyable. A lot of colorful characters. You get to see Johnny Depp once again not use his normal voice. 
and uh, get to wear a lot of expensive, fancy clothes like yeah. he likes to do. That's funny. Well, you know, I, I didn't get my uh, the food that I wanted. I usually, traditionally, me and my family, we eat crab on Thanksgiving. Crab? Yeah, and I waited last minute, and they ran out at Costco, so I had to eat turkey and regular food. Like a normal person? Yeah, I had a normal <laughs> crab. is good, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with the little time that we have left, what's coming up on your show here in just five minutes and 20 seconds? We're going to talk to ESPN's Trevor Maddich about his offseason to-do list, his reaction to the Hawaii game. Uh, we'll break down a little bit uh, the UMass game. BYU came back down 12 to win in dramatic fashion against UMass in men's basketball, getting revenge for the football game. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> yes. No, it was revenge, Jeremy. Don't try to yeah. downplay it, man. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> Plus, women's volleyball is in the NCAA tournament. They are hosting... Uh, they are a 13 seed. We'll talk to the head coach Heather Olmstead. Uh, was a 13 seed uh, share uh, a fair shakeout? And will the Cougars be going to their sixth straight Sweet 16? We'll t- we'll ask her about that. That's great news. That is. See, just talk more about them than the football team. Okay. Mm, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like a sound business model. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. Um, Anyway, coming up here in just a few minutes, we've got BYU Sports Nation with Jerem and Brian. You're not going to want to miss it. But uh, as you know, we always like to end our show, and we'll end this show of the Matt Townsend Show, with our hero story of the day. We could always use a good hero story, and today's another good one. A Secret Santa has spent more than $10,000 to pay for dozens of holiday layaway orders at a New Jersey toy store. This is awesome. The Good Samaritan, who identified himself as Charlie K, went to the Toys R Us in, in Cherry Hill on Friday to do some shopping for his son. While at the store, he decided to pay for 62 layaway orders of strangers, totaling $10,780 overall and bought an additional $2,000 worth of items to give to Toys for Tots by having everyone who was inside the store pick out three toys to donate. The man said he wanted to fulfill some Christmas wishes for people. Shoppers who came to pick up some of the orders the man paid for said they were surprised and thankful. This is such a wonderful example of something that you can do to make a difference during this holiday season for somebody who... Maybe they're not less fortunate, but maybe you're just making their day. You're making their holiday by by doing this service for them. But uh, there certainly are plenty of people that are less fortunate that could really use help. And so we just encourage you to get out there, to be creative, to look for ways that you can help somebody. And uh, it'll really make a difference in their lives. And you'll be surprised at how much of a difference it can make in your own life. The feeling that you'll get when you really help somebody out in such a small way can really go a long way. That's going to do it for the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow with more fun and more, no, not more Dr. Matt because he's not in tomorrow, but that'll be okay. He'll be back Wednesday. Until tomorrow, have a great day.